Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. This is A's Cast Live. Your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Watch the left field deep. Bam going back. Looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back. Goal for Yelich. Cody Bellinger hits one out. So he's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. I am so excited about this show today. I can't even believe it. Yes, we are on the air for the next three hours here on A's Cast Live, and I just realized that I didn't retweet about the show today, Cody. So I apologize, and I'm going to retweet you to let everybody know that we're on the air. And we do have a killer show for you today. Our A's historian, Dave Feldman, will be by for a little green and gold history. We've been doing the series Top 10, you know, Top 10 First Base, Top 10 Managers, Top 10 Shortstop. Today, we're going to do top 10 Aprils, guys who got off to the best start in Oakland A's history. We'll do that at 1.30. We'll continue previewing all of Major League Baseball. We cover the A's, but we cover this game as good as anybody. And we're now working our way through the NL Central. And today, we're going to talk about the Cincinnati Reds, the oldest team in baseball. And their voice, Tom Brenneman, will be here at 2.30. Tom is one of the best broadcasters we have in the country. You think of his work in Major League Baseball, his work in the NFL, all those big college football games that he has called. Vince Catronio, one of the voices of the athletics, will be here at 3 o'clock. And then at 3.30, Liam Hendricks, the all-star closer, will be here to talk about what he and his wife, Christy, are doing for Oakland PD and Alameda County police officers. He's reaching out like he always does. I mean, this guy's heart is truly unbelievable. I mean, Liam Hendricks basically has said, and he said on this program, I want to make this play this place a better place before I leave it. And what he does for humans, what he does for animals, the guy's got a heart of gold. He truly is special. And we'll talk to him later on today at 3.30. But one of the things that when I woke up today, 
and I checked my phone, and there was a text from the commander. By the way, good afternoon, commander. Uh, good afternoon, Tony. Hope all is so, well. What's up? Hope all is well. We are social distancing. He's at his house, and I'm at my house. We're literally, what, about three miles away from each other? Three's about right. It's about an eight-minute drive. I could actually tell. Yeah, it just it just depends on uh, on. Uh, it just depends on uh, if you if you go through the lights. What's the uh, what's the Shark Tank called now? The SAP Center. SAP. I was because I was like, is it still uh, HP? Yeah, it was HP I mean, Pavilion, I was, and I don't know what it was before then. So I'm putting my house. So you live right behind it. I'm putting it in here. Yeah, I'm exactly three point zero miles from. The Shark Tank, and you live right behind it. Yeah, nobody cares, but that's how close we are. But you were sure you're at your place. I'm at my place. We are social distancing. You sent me the article from friend of the program, Bob Nightingale, who we had on what on Monday. Uh, we both interviewed him on Wednesday. On Wednesday, okay. So he has an article out today that if you're a baseball fan, this is like the best news you've heard in a long time. Talking about getting baseball going once again, we we were kind of ahead of this. We we talked about this a while ago. I had that, I, I had the crazy idea, put everybody in full in, in in Arizona, and then all of a sudden I couldn't believe that was actually really being talked about. But Bob has you know very connected, talking about getting this thing going to where teams in Florida who train in Florida, they play in Florida. And the teams in Arizona, they play at their ballparks in Arizona. And the winner of the Grapefruit League and the winner of the Cactus League will play in the World Series. And by November, you're going to play a World Series. You've got domes in both states. You can play at the Marlins Park in Miami. He mentions Tropicana Field. They're not playing at the Trop. The Trop, no offense, is a dump. Uh, you can play down at Marlins Park, and by the way, Marlins Park is is as much as people rag them about their attendance. They do have the Clevelander, which is the pool in left field where people are in bathing suits and bikinis, having cocktails while watching Marlins games. Can you imagine being in the pool during the World Series watching whoever Yankees Dodgers? That'd be, Would that be uh... any good. That'd be a really cool atmosphere because we've seen uh, we've seen the Dodgers take a plunge in the pool and chase field at the Diamondbacks ballpark after they won the division. So I'd love to see people floating around at the Clevelander. A little different. They took down that huge atros- uh, monstrosity that was the home run statue that they had there in center field. But uh, Marlins Park is only, what, like eight years old now? This will be their, their eighth season. I think it opened in 2012. So, I mean, too bad the Marlins haven't seen a winning season since 2003. But it'd be great to see playoff games played at Marlins Park. I was uh, there two years ago, and it was second. It was the second to the last game of the year, and there literally is nobody there. But you go down into the Clevelander, and it's packed. And I and I I mentioned bathing suits first, but there are legitly bikinis in there. <laughs> I thought people were full of it. It's real. I've seen it with my own eyes. We'll go to the Cle- – Cody, the World Series, you and I are going, and we're going to be hanging in the Cle- the Clevelander 
for the World Series between whoever. Um, and also, you could play in Arizona, Chase Field. You could play the World Series there. You know, I, you know, spitball in this thing, you could play multiple games a day at Chase Field. So I know Bob mentions the Great Food League could get going at 11 a.m. Uh, Eastern and then, you know, play throughout the day and Arizona teams can play and we can have games going all day long. Universal DH. I mean, this is the time where baseball could really Make some changes and see whether it works or not. But this would be awesome for our country. Please, South Korea, work. And South Korea is getting ready to open up their season. They would be the model. And what, what that would do for baseball, and you hear me say it all the time, they wouldn't have to be the first one in the pool. They can say, look, they're playing in South Korea. It's working. So that's why I cross your fingers pray that South Korea works and get baseball going and what this would mean for our country, what this would mean for the sport. Once again, this sport, and we'll talk to Tom Brenneman about it. Of course, Tom's been around this his, his entire life as his dad uh, just retired. Marty Brenneman, one of the great voices of the game, just retired. We honored him in Oakland. Uh, we should. He was, he was one of the best baseball broadcasters of all time. But what this would mean for the sport being America's pastime again, because everybody would watch people who don't even ever really watch baseball would now get into baseball. It'd be huge. And the way that it's set up, I absolutely love it. So they're basically going to put the teams that are closest together for spring training. So how would it work for the A's? So Bob has the division called the Northeast in Arizona, that would that would be Oakland, San Francisco, Chicago Cubs, Arizona Diamondbacks, and Colorado Rockies. Now think about that. So where the A's play in Mesa, just down the road, Sloan Park is where the Cubs play. Just down the road in Scottsdale is where the Giants play. And Salt... Uh, Saltwater salt Field. I think, isn't it Saltwater Fields? Suddenly, I, I was just there. Um, that's where the Diamondbacks and the Rockies train. Saltwater so they fields. would all just be down the street from each other. And what I love about this. No, actually, I'm wrong. It's Salt River Fields. My bad. At Talking Stick. What did I call it? Saltwater? I called it Saltwater. It's Salt River Fields at Training Stick. At, at Talking Stick. See, our memories are so bad because it's been, what, a month since we've been in Arizona? As The Rock would say, it doesn't matter. Okay, this would be, going into this division here, Commander, there's no question the A's are the best team in this division. Cubs, Giants, D-backs, Rockies, not one of those teams on paper is as good as the A's. I agree, agree 100%. 100%. I, I mentioned to you I think the next best team is the Diamondbacks because of what they did this offseason, adding Bumgarner and Starling Marte and – Cole Calhoun, I forgot about him. Stephen Vogt, they've added some nice pieces. But, yeah, no one – and they only won 85 games last year. So, they're still 12 games behind what the A's did last year and 21 behind the Dodgers, just just to put that so out there. So, if you're telling me these are the teams you're going to play the most, bring it on. I mean, bring it on. Now, the one thing that I really like is that the the West Division in the Cactus League 
the A's are not in that because you do not want to be in this division because that's where the Los Angeles Dodgers are. It's Dodgers, White Sox, who people think are going to be a lot better. Cincinnati Reds, people think are going to be a lot better. When you start adding Moustakis and Castellanos and they got that pitching, Cleveland Indians and Angels, that to me, that to me looks like a tough division. Dodgers, White Sox, Reds, Indians, Angels. I, I that that that's going to be one of the toughest because there, there's there, there's a couple in the Grapefruit League we're going to go into. We're going to go wow, but wouldn't you? I mean, that's no day at the beach right there. That division. No, because it's like you, like you mentioned, it's every team that people besides the Dodgers who you know we, we expect to run away at the NL. Well, what would have been the NL West by June. And that division in the West in the Cactus League, the White Sox, you know, they've done a lot of things, adding Dallas Keuchel. They signed Luis Robert to that big deal, and he's never played a major league game. You got the Reds with who they added. They also added Shogo Akiyami, the first Japanese player ever in franchise history. The Indians are still going to be pretty good with Bieber and Clevenger and, and the Franimal, who they have. Like, they have a lot of nice pieces. And then the Lindor Angels. Lindor is still there. Yeah, Lindor is still there for, well, for the time being. He's still there. And yeah, then, I wonder what's a has, – has anybody mentioned a trading deadline? Well, they can't. Well, yeah, can't talk about that right now because they don't know what it's going to be. All right, all right. So then we go to the Northwest, where this is going to be. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> seriously, this is this is going to be a joke. Uh, Brewers are the winners. We can tell you already of the Northwest. It's the Brewers, Padres, Mariners, Rangers, Royals. I, I if you said, all right, Townie, you got to put a. You got to put a grand on it. Who are you putting it on? I'm putting it on the Brewers. Yelich could take another month. He, remember, he got hurt last year in September. This year, he can just take the last month off because the Brewers probably will be so far ahead. Now, I wouldn't sleep on the Rangers for what they've done with adding Kluber, and they've got a lot of nice young – you know, Joey Gallo will be back for a full year, hopefully. They don't have the talent that the Brewers have. No, but I'm just saying to compete, I think the Rangers are the, the next best team, maybe. I mean, well, hey, you and Bob Townsend's Padres <laughs> – should be better, but I mean, I, I, how many Ma- times can you say that? Is Manny going to try? That's why. If Manny Machado goes out and tries, maybe they finish in second. Maybe. No, they got three, they got three managers, so they got three guys yeah. that. Uh, three guys are going to you know are they're going to inspire Manny Machado to play much better heading into twenty twenty. Yeah. All right, so I think the Brewers win that in a landslide. I, 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 I it, however it will shake out, and however they they would let us know how it works. I got Oakland in the Northeast. I got L.A. in the West, Dodgers. And I got the Brew Crew in the Northwest. Streaming from the town, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. All right, Cody, I'm texting with my buddy Rob, Rob Heller in uh, New York. And he says Mets would have a tough division. They would be trading the Braves and the Phillies for the Astros and the Cardinals. <laughs> so, yeah, hey, this is fa- – I mean, I find this fascinating. Do you find this fascinating? Oh, absolutely. That division – so the, the division okay. right now is is pretty good, except for, well, there's one team in there that's not very good. But maybe they will let, be. Let, Who knows? Let, let's start with the North first because this is hands down Yankees win this. It's Yankees, Phillies, Blue Jays, Tigers and Pirates. So the Tigers and the Pirates, they're dogs with fleas. Blue Jays have young talent, but that's what they are. They're young. They're going to win some games with their young talent, but they're they're not ready yet. And the Phillies, 
We'll check in with Kevin Franzen when we when we get into the AL East. To me, they're kind of I I don't think we know. You know, you 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 get rid of your manager, and you bring in a guy like Joe Girardi, who brings instant credibility. World Series champion as a manager, World Series champion multiple times as a player, um, old school, but I think he's going to learn from the knock on him leaving New York was he doesn't relate to the players that well, which I think people kind of debunk that. They just wanted to make a change. Let's face it, sometimes, you know, a relationship like Cashman and Girardi some point you just you need to make a change because I, I think Girardi's a very good manager so I don't know about the Phil I know about the Yankees I, I think we both agree the Yankees win this division in a landslide oh completely I mean the talent they have alone I mean yeah the Pirates are gonna be bad they I think the Tigers and Pirates might contend for the worst record in baseball just playing in that division against the Yankees depending on how many times they play a year but yeah the Yankees should run away with that uh no question about it and does the not does does having the DH favor the American League teams because they actually have DHs right now, and the National League you're now looking what for one of your bench guys to be the DH? I mean, you can get away with it for three games, but now if you're playing a lot of games and you don't have a legit DH, I'm I we'll just have to let it play out as they say, but. I got to think that that, that that's going to be a little knock on the uh, on the National League teams against the American League teams. Yeah, I think that finding a DH is going to be is going to be difficult. And you know, I, I this is way completely different. But I started the trend with playing on MLB The Show Twenty, where I started the franchise when I started franchise. I I put the universal DH in just for you know to get ready for it. And you're right. I think finding a guy you're not going to be able to find a guy off the bench who is a you know a fringe starter that's going to be able to come in. Where you know the A's have Marcana who wasn't you know wasn't an everyday player who comes in and he becomes an everyday player because he plays everywhere. I don't think the Pirates and the Phillies maybe have that guy on their bench to come in to to you know help the team win as like an AL team will be equipped to have. Okay, and then in the East, you're going to have the Nationals, the Astros. The Mets, the Cardinals, and the Marlins. Woof. That is brutal. I mean, that 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 right there, that's a toss-up. Marlins stink. Everybody else is good. The Nationals will be good. The Astros will be good. One thing working against the Nationals, we haven't had a repeat champion since the Yankees. It's been a long time. But you got the Nationals, the Astros, the Mets think they're going to be better. Cardinals are always ready to compete. We just previewed them. That's not going to be. And I think this is the worst. I mean, this is this is a bloodbath right here. The Grapefruit League South would be the Red Sox, the Twins, the Braves, the Tampa Bay Rays, and the Baltimore Orioles. Think about that. Rays, Braves, Twins are three legit teams who you could make a case for could win the World Series. Yeah. I, I got to I, I go say they're the, they're the only division out of all these divisions that you can say there's three legit – no, I'd say the East too. So the South and the East in the, in the Grapefruit League, you've got – I'd say you got four teams 
Nationals just won it, obviously. Nationals, Astros, Mets, Cardinals. And then in the South, Red Sox, Twins, Braves, Rays. People don't think Boston's going to be as good, but if Boston won it, it wouldn't be a shocker. Those two divisions in the Grapefruit League would be, oh, my God. That would be, that would be. That's no day at the beach. That's tough for the Marlins and the uh, the Orioles there, especially for teams that are. I think the Marlins are a little farther ahead than the Orioles are when it comes to uh, being contenders again. But, I mean, you got to look at that. I mean, out of all those teams, I personally, I, I like the Rays. The Rays are the Braves out of all those teams we mentioned, aside from the Orioles and Marlins. But you got the Astros and everything who were or the, not the, the Astros in the World Series last year. The Nationals won the World Series last year. The Red Sox lost bets, but who knows? They Maybe some guys step up for them. And then the Twins are the Twins. They hit 307 home runs last year. But how does that affect them with a dead in baseball if that actually does happen? That, like Bob Nightingale said he thinks there could be a dead in baseball. Like, how does that affect the Twins who went out and added Josh Donaldson to, to their lineup to help hit home runs? What if they're not hitting 307 home runs? How does that affect them? So uh, you're right, though. I completely agree. I think that the – I think the the East in the Grapefruit League, Nats, Astros, Mets, Cardinals, good luck. Good luck, especially if the, the Mets are supposed to be much better this year. I think, you, you, you know, you, so first for the A's, I love it. I think the A's are better than the Cubs, Giants, D-backs, and Rockies. I think there's no question. So you got to love it if you're the A's. You got to love it if you're the Brewers because you're better than the Padres, Mariners, Rangers, Royals. Dodgers are better than everybody else, but that, that there's there, theirs would be the toughest in the in the Cactus League. Dodgers, White Sox, Reds, Indians, Angels. That would be the toughest. But the Dodgers clearly, the Dodgers have the best roster in the Cactus League, if not baseball. I mean, their roster is just you know when we saw them down at spring training, were you still there yet? Or was that after you left? It was the day well, they, we played the Dodgers the day after. So I would, I left Wednesday yeah. night. We played them Thursday. They, they come walking into the ballpark and you're just like, wow, they've got talent. I mean, <laughs> you got, I mean, they're getting Gavin Lux to play second base and he played what, like, I don't know, 30 or 40 games last year. You're going to get a full year out of him. Who's supposed to be, you know, he's one of the most high prospects in baseball behind Wander Franco and a few other people. So, Going along with the M- the NL MVP in Cody Bellinger, the 2018 AL MVP Mookie Betts, they added David Price. You still got Kershaw and Bueller and I, Ginger Guard. Loaded. Yeah. They are loaded. What happens if Blake Trinan even gets close to what he was two years ago to go with Canley Jansen in the back of that bullpen? And if Jansen, you know, I I, I bet for 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 Jansen that this time away from baseball will only help his his tired arm. I mean, Jansen, I mean, this this is this could be I mean, this Dodger team. Buying or selling, they'll win over 105 games. The Dodgers buying. Yeah, I think I mean, think if we had 106, if we if they played in their if they played in their division, their regular division and they played a re- regular schedule, they could win 110, 112. I mean, they are just loaded. I mean, they got the Red Beard at third, Seeger at short, Muncy. I mean, Lux. Jock Peterson can't even get in the lineup, and he <laughs> had 36 home runs last year. Well, that's because they signed A.J. Pollock to that four-year, $66 million deal, and he won. Well, what I think I went over it when we talked to the Dodgers the other day. He was like one for 13 in the postseason with 11 strikeouts. 
uh, that's not good for a guy that you gave out your biggest free agent contract to, that's going to be platooning with Jock because you're not taking Mookie Betts or Cody Bellinger out of the lineup. There's no way. Although, if I remember correctly, two years ago in the World Series, the Dodgers didn't use Cody Bellinger against lefties. So uh, maybe if they would have used him in Muncie, they might have won that World Series and not lost four games to one to the Red Sox. So did, did, did Bob Nightingale – did he talk about how the playoffs would work, or is he just saying best records? Um, I think he was just talking about best records because playoffs. It'd be interesting to see how they did it because he went on to talk about the the using the universal DH and all that. Like I think is great because the the report yeah. that was out earlier this week was we'd have seven inning double headers. You know the players will do the social distancing. That was if we played every game in Arizona, but now the, the Grapefruit League is in play. It's gonna be interesting to see how they how they do all that with social I distancing full, and. Uh, go- Go full board playoffs. You got three division winners, and then you go how many wild cards? What's well it depends on the teams they keep. In, it depends on the teams they put in the playoffs, too. Because if you if you want if you want to do the new format, what was the new format going to be? It would be seven playoff teams. Remember what we were talking about? That would be three wild yeah, cards. Yeah, I, I, I kind of forget what it was like. Three so wild it, cards. It, and then the top three teams, so the, the top three teams would pick, and then the first wild card four, would play. You'd have, four, you'd have four wild card teams. So you'd have you'd have the you'd have the division winners, and then you'd have the a four uh, yeah. whoever yeah. has the best record. So they're the top wild card, and then you have what? Oh, two other wild cards. That uh, was that two or I, I think the way it worked was if we did it, the the Astros would have picked. Like between the Indians, Red Sox, and the Rays, um, which they probably would have picked the Indians or Rays, Indians or Red Sox, and then the Yankees would have picked whoever's left out of that, and then I remember it would end up being the Rays and A's would end up playing each other still in, in the first round because that's if that's how it worked out. Cleveland would have been in. Yeah, Cleveland would have been in. Boston would have been in as well. I think because if we added the two more teams, because they were the next two teams behind the A's and Rays. So you you do the you do the Cactus League in Arizona. You do the Grapefruit. I mean, at the uh, at the Chase at Chase Field, and then you do the, the Grapefruit League playoffs. You do that at uh, Marlins Park, and then you pick one or the other as your World Series destination. Or you could say, "Let's meet in the middle, and we'll play in Houston, or we'll play in Texas, play yeah. in Arlington." Yeah, I like the idea of playing one of, one of the ballparks in 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 Texas because. You got the new Rangers ballpark that's gonna have the retractable roof. You already have Minute Maid that has the retractable roof. I, I like that idea. I, I, I think that I like the idea of doing the seven teams per I mean, I know that's a lot. People don't want to have seven teams, but I like it where you have you essentially would have the you know, the Yankees and, and the, if you look at the Grey League, you'd have the Yankees, the Astros and and whoever picked the out of the four wild cards would be great. And then you're looking in the Cactus League, you you'd hope it'd be the A's, Brewers and, and Dodgers would pick between the three wild cards and then the one would play the other, so uh, I like that idea. And the new the 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 new ballpark in Texas is going to be sweet. And don't forget, literally fifteen yards away from that new ballpark is Texas Live. If you have no idea what Texas Live is, Google it and look it up. It's awesome. Restaurants, bars. They supposedly have the largest TV screen in the country, and they can break it all up and show all these different things. They've got—I was in there one night. One night they had a live band going. Uh, Pudge Rodriguez has a pizza place. Troy Aikman has a wine bar. Uh, what else was in there? Oh, the 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 barbecue place. I actually ate with uh, uh, Glenn Kuyper and Ray Fossey. I 
Texas Live. You're going to have a World Series. You can hang out at Texas Live. That's where everybody goes before Cowboy games. It would be legit. Uh, by the way, Feldy's going to be calling into us, so we're awaiting his call. Are we getting this right? So, I remember it would be three division winners. So it would have been it would have been the Yankees. I, I, the, talking about if we use last year's standings, so it would have been the Astros would have been first, Yankees second, then Twins. The next the next back record was who the A's. It was Yankees, Twins, and then no, because you have to go with the division winners. Yeah, I gave you the three division yeah. winners, the Astros, the Yankees, the Twins, then it's the A's. Then the A's, and then it was the Rays. And then the Rays, and then it would have been the Indians. Indians, and then it would have been Boston. So it's six teams, not okay. seven. You yeah, said so seven. They, yeah, six. so they add the additional wild card, and then the A's, and, the A's and Rays would still end up playing each other is what I was saying. It's time for a little green and gold history here on A's cast. Dave Feldman is our A's historian, and he joins us now here on A's cast live. Feldy, I hope you're safe and everything's going good for you and the family. Yeah, we're safe. Uh, and without uh, any new baseball, just been living in baseball nostalgia now. All right, so we're doing top 10 Aprils all time in A's history. Yeah, so I figured there's no baseball this April. It's very sad, but it gives us a good chance to look back at some of the players who had fantastic Aprils, fantastic starts to a season, and that led to big things. Um, and we, we've seen also the, the opposite, really. We've seen some bad Aprils, right, and a guy still coming through with a good season. So guys like Ben Grieve in 1999 hit 132 in April. Right? He was actually hitting 131 as late as May 19th. This is a guy coming off a Rookie of the Year award. And you think he had a bad year. And then you go back and look at it and you go, well, after May 19th or May 20th on, he hit 303 with 25 bombs. Or, or Mike Fires last year, right? He had a 7.03 ERA at the end of April. We thought, uh-oh, this isn't going to be a good year. And we all know how that turned out, 3.24 ERA the rest of the year, and, and was terrific. Um, but we're going to talk about the guys who had the best Aprils, and that really led to big things. All righty, let's do it. So some of the guys who just were short, just some good Aprils to uh, mention. Jed Lowry in 2018, I uh, had 339 in April. Uh, going back to 1969, Rick Monday in April had a still the Oakland record, had an RBI in 10 straight games, the last 10 games in April. Uh, Ryan Madsen went 8 for 8 and saved in 2016. Scott Casimir, 0.99 ERA in 2015. Uh, our friend Dave Henderson, and 1991 led to an all-star game berth for him, 387 in April. Uh, and Sonny Gray in 2014, 4-1, 1.76. 1. All fantastic Aprils, just not enough to make our top 10. All right, number 10. Number 10, we go to April 2006, and it's Nick Swisher. Uh, Swish, rookie year, or first full year in 2005, was good, right? 236, but 21 homers and 74 RBI. But you thought switch hitting outfielder, uh, he's going to be big. And for the 2006 A's in April, he was. Because 2006, they got off to their typical mantling start, right? They were 10 and 10 in April. But Swish playing both left field and first base, kind of going back and forth depending on what pitcher was going against them, hit 313 
with 10 bombs, four doubles, and he had 24 RBIs in 23 games. Uh, and just was that driving force. Frank Thomas did not have a good April in 2006. He was not Frank Thomas yet. Uh, Milton Bradley was still finding his way. And that was big because Swisher was a huge morale booster uh, for Bradley. I think Bradley had his best full year in 2006. I think Swish is a big part of that. Um, and Swish also had some big games. He had a two-homer game of Justin Verlander in April of that year. And, and it led to a great year. He had a career-high 35 homers, drove in 95. And that 35 homers is still the A's record for most home runs by a Swish hitter. And it all started with a huge April for Nick Swisher. And just, just a guy you want to be around every day. I mean, he's just – he's so positive. He just brings that kind of energy that during a long season, he, he just seemed like a guy that could pick up his teammates because you, you might be dragging a little bit, but here comes Swish, and he's ready to rock. Yeah, and it could be taken one of two ways, right? Everyone thought, you know, when Swish first got to the big leagues, he was kind of boisterous, this kid from Ohio, son of a big leaguer, kind of maybe he's a little full of himself. And that wasn't the case at all. Swish was just a guy who just loved playing baseball. And like you said, loved his teammates. I think one of the great highlights of 2006, especially April 2006, the A's went back-to-back-to-back home runs with Bradley Chavez and Frank Thomas. And the guy in the dugout having more fun than anybody during that was Nick Swisher. And the, and the, the replays of that are unbelievable to watch Swish's happiness for his teammates. And it really was. It went that way all through that season and all through really Swish's career. He had a very good career uh, and a World Series championship with the Yankees in 09. You know, their personalities are a little bit different, but what reminds me, like that story you just told, is like Matt Chapman, where like when, when fires through the no-hitter, Chapman didn't really have a good game, but he was fired up more than anybody. He just You love players like that. All right, number nine. Number nine, we go to 1988, a year which we see the A's win 104 games. And it was Dennis Eckersley. Now, Eck, remember, takes over as a closer this last couple of months of 1987 for Jay Howe, finished with 16 saves. So he's coming into 1988 as, for the first time, a full-time closer. All right? There was no question about his role here. And he goes lights out in April. Nine games, nine saves, no runs. I mean, that is, it's perfection, right? And four of those nine saves were more than one inning. And we always hear about these one innings. When, when Eck first started in 88, he was coming in in the eighth. He was getting one plus or two inning saves. And he just slammed the door every time. And it went through the whole year, right? 45 saves. And then you look at X Aprils. In 88 and 89 and 90 combined, just in April, he did not allow a run. In three seasons, did not allow a run in April. It's unreal. 24 out of 25 saves, 2-0 record in those three Aprils combined. But but in 88, when he announced himself as the closer, and to come out like that, no runs, 9 for 9 in saves, uh, that's that's quite an introduction to, to a Hall of Fame closer's career. You know, and I, I, I think X going to have a pretty good career after that. I, I think uh, things might go his way. What do you think? It's just – you know, it really was amazing to watch. I mean, I remember in 87 when the A's acquired him, right, you know, right near the end of spring training, um, what, April 3rd, right before the season's going to start, this washed-up pitcher. The A's didn't really have a spot in the rotation for him. But all of a sudden, he's having these great performances out of the bullpen. 
and slowly moving his way up where Tony La Russa said, we need him to close games, especially when Jay Howell got hurt. And then to finally say, this is the guy. And for Eck, you watch those early years as a closer and the energy that he brought out there, right? And he talked about it. He pitched with fear, right? He was so afraid of failing. And so his energy and his focus was so on point. And that's where all that emotion was coming from, right? Every strikeout was a huge deal for him because it was, you know, one step closer to finishing the game. And it just, it was amazing to watch him those years. And Ray Ratto at the time, or a columnist of the examiner, always had that great line about when Eck came in the game, it was time to grab your car keys because you were packing up to go home. <laughs> All right, number eight. Number eight, another great April. In 2000, for a guy who would go on to win the MVP, that's Jason Giambi. And you look back at Jason Giambi's 1999 season, it was fantastic. 99 for an A's team that kind of stayed in the race, in the wild card race until the end of September, uh, but really didn't feel like a contender. Uh, he had 315, 33 homers, 105 walks, a 975 OPS, and he's becoming a legitimate superstar in the game in 99. And in April, again, just announcing himself, and those 24 games in April, 27 runs batted in, nine homers, 15 walks showing that great eye, an OPS of over 1,000, hit two homers on opening night for Sadeo Nomo and the Tigers, had a five RBI game against the White Sox, a four RBI game at Fenway. And this was a 2008 team that would go on to win the West. And, and that April that Giambi had was just huge. I mean, that was where you saw a guy who could be a superstar become a superstar. And you look at his numbers to win the MVP, 333 average, 43 homers, an Oakland record, 137 RBI, and just huge mammoth numbers. And really, might even topped himself in 2001, should have won the MVP in 2001. It's an argument for another day. But that April of 2000 where he said, I'm here and this A's team's here, it was amazing to see. He was a beast. I mean, he was uh, – in college, he – so I faced him twice. First time I struck him out on Saturday. Sunday, he hit a home run off of me that had to have gone – so – I played against him when they played on campus because they ended up playing at this park later on, but they used to play and there was a big field and they had these batting cages. He hit it over the batting cages on me. Oh, jeez! I mean, it had to have been 500 feet. I, it was, it, it was like one of those, you just turned it. I admired it. It was hit so far. All right. Uh, number seven. Number seven. There's a guy who actually got nicknamed for a while. There was a pin made of this, of Mr. April, and that's Dave Stewart. And Dave Stewart in April, April 88, he's 6-0. April 89, he's 5-0. and And again, this is with Eckersley helping to close some of these games. He doesn't give up a run. What a combination of Stewart and Eck. But in April 1990 was the best Dave Stewart April. In five starts, he goes 5-0. and He has an ERA of 1.32, an opponent average of 208, just dominating. This is a guy coming off the 1989 World Series MVP plus three straight 20-win seasons already going into 1990. And then how does he end the month? Seven and, a, seven and two-thirds shutout innings at Fenway against his favorite, Roger Clemens, as the A's win one nothing. Another great Stewart outdoing Clemens night. Uh, and just led to his fourth straight 20-win season, right, 22-11. and 11. But you look at his April, those three seasons from 88 to 90, he had 17 starts in April, and he went 
16 and 0. I just, it's unreal how these A's got off to such great starts, right? And it's all because of Stewart and Eck. They were untouchable that first month of the season. Number six is Sean Manaya, and that was April 2018. And this also includes March, because at this point, the A's are starting the season a little earlier now, so March, April. But Sean Manaya in 2018, uh, six starts, a 4 and 2 record. One of those losses was a 1 nothing heartbreaker. Uh, 1.03 ERA, a 134 opponent average, seven walks, 37 strikeouts, and of course, a no hitter versus the Boston Red Sox. And if you think back to that no hitter, and I know uh, NBC Sports California just reran this a couple times, uh, going up against a Red Sox team that got off to the season, what were they, 17 and 2 coming into that game? And they had 10-plus hits in 13 of the last 15 games, a 293 team average. This was a Red Sox team that is smoking hot. They're off to an unbelievable start. And Shamanaya throws a no-hitter against them. And then he backs it up. His next start, he goes to Houston, seven innings, four hits, one earned, unearned run in Houston. Uh, Shamanaya, brilliant April, rewarded with the AL Pitcher of the Month. Uh but that was just – he was lights out back in 2018. Yeah, I know. It was, uh, got to see that uh, this kid, he's going to be special, and we're you know hoping for a full year from him this season. Number five. Number five, Hall of Famer Ricky Henderson wow. in 1982. Uh, again, Rick, Ricky's coming off the 1981, the strike-shortened season, where he finished second in the AL MVP. Should have won it. Raleigh Fingers won it. Made no sense. Ricky should have won it. Uh, but in 81, he hits 319. He had 56 steals in 108 games. Remember, he had the 100-steal season in 1980. But 1982, with not a very good A's team, a lot of injuries, Billy Martin kind of getting cranky with his job with the A's, but he loved Ricky, and he gave Ricky the green light. In April of that year, Ricky has a 445 on-base percentage, thanks to 31 walks. And he gets 22 steals in the 22 games. And the 22 stolen bases in April, still a major league record for April. 22 steals in a month. And obviously, he finishes the year with the major league record, 130 steals. He gets caught 42 times. So he attempted 172 stolen bases. And it's just an unreal number. The other thing, you look back at that year, when he broke Blue Brock's record of 119, Right, that was August 27th. He stole four bases that night. Uh, so he ends up with, what, 122. He only steals eight bases in the last month of the year, and four of them came in the last two games. I know a lot of that was because his body had broken down. I mean, it's a lot of running, a lot of pounding. Uh, but you think of what Ricky could have done if he kept running in September? He could have had 140 stolen bases, 145 stolen bases, and it all started with the 22 steals in April. By the way, speaking of things that we enjoy with uh, old school baseball, uh, how about stolen bases? Good point. Yeah, Dave, you just nobody risk it anymore. I know. I but these names you got the next four. I, <laughs> all right, number four. Number four. We go back to April 1984. Dave Kingman. Oh, King Kong. King Kong, first year with the A's. Now, the A's signed him basically to be the DH. They had Jeff Burroughs in 1983, and Burroughs playing most of the year as a DH. He had only 10 homers. 
And Kingman was coming off a bad year with the Mets. And he got only into 100 games, hit 198, only 13 bombs. But in April for the A's, he announced that this was a great signing. Ten homers, 26 runs batted in, in 21 games. And he really announced himself April 16th at the Kingdome in Seattle with three homers and eight runs batted in. And at the time, he was only the second player in Oakland history to hit three in a game. And the previous was Reggie Jackson in 1969 in Oakland versus the Seattle Pilots, a team that had now become the Brewers. So three homer games, very rare at this point. And that was still only one of only five players in Oakland history to have eight RBI in a game. Ends the year, 35 homers, 118 runs batted in. He's awarded the outstanding DH of the year. Goes on to hit 30 homers in 85, 35 in 86. Uh, he still holds the A's franchise record for 98 career homers as a DH. Uh, Chris Davis is at 93, so we expect if we play baseball this year that Chris Davis will pass him. But that April, where you had this slugger, you had Kong coming to Oakland and just bashing 10 bombs. I just, I just to me, that's, that's the type of April you want to have if you're new to a team and coming off a bad year. Yeah, he, he led the league in home runs multiple times. He was an all-star. And when we talk all-time nicknames, that doesn't come up enough. But the fact that your nickname's King Kong, and that's awesome. That's awesome. Kong. I just Dave King, man. He was big and tall. He took up all that batter, that space in the batter's box. It was awesome. He was a USC guy, right? Yeah, I believe he was. He pitched also. He was a pitcher slash hitter. And when the Giants had talked about actually having him pitch a little bit, but you couldn't keep that bat down. I mean, that power was just – it was too raw to, to, to give up on to make a pitcher out of. At one point, I mean, you think about uh, Rod, Rod – it was, it was Rod Dato, their, their longtime coach at USC. All the great – from Freddie Lynn. They had so many great – Tom Seaver. They had so many great players at USC. But at one point – when you've got Mark McGuire, Randy Johnson, and Jack Del Rio, and Jack yeah. Del Rio was the MVP of the Rose Bowl. He was a great linebacker, but he was catching. I actually got to talk to Del Rio about uh, catching Randy Johnson. He he said, Randy and everybody, no one knew where the ball was going. It, it, it was like <laughs> the most uncomfortable at-bat in the history of at-bats. But, God, the talent that came out of USC back then. All right, number three. Well, what a perfect say, because number three is USC's own Mark McGuire. Now, 96, you know, this is a healthy Mark McGuire, maybe a little too healthy, as we know about now. But at the time, uh, <laughs> he had 312, 52 homers in 1997. No, not 96. Now it's 1997. This is the Powerball A's, the McGuire, Hermano Barroa, the return of Jose Canseco. And in April that year, McGuire hits 322. 11 homers, 8 doubles, 25 RBIs, 23 walks. Just a monster. And just, you know, this is this is a different McGuire than the, you know, 1990 on the ninth inning. And then the last day of the month, April 30th, at Jacobs Field in Cleveland, he hit the longest home run to this day that I think I've ever seen. And I was there at the Kingdom when he hit the ball off Randy Johnson into the upper deck of the Kingdom. And that was far. But here in Cleveland, he hits a ball off the Budweiser sign in deep left field at Jacobs Field, in that progressive field. Uh, it was a joke. I mean, he used to joke about a guy hitting a home run off the Budweiser sign, and he did it. And I'm telling you, if you have not seen this, go to YouTube and go look it up. McGuire, Hershiser, Budweiser sign. It's all you need to put in. 
it'll come up. It's Greg Papa and Ray Fossey on the call. You get one of Ray Fossey's classic. Wow. I, it was unreal. Uh, after the game, Jim Tomey sends over a six-pack of Budweiser to McGuire. Tomey, the first baseman, and he couldn't believe it. I, he just, you've never seen power like this. Um, what a month. And then he has, you know, he's having a great year. He gets, he gets traded to the Cardinals, finishes the year with 58 homers, then goes on to hit 70 homers in 98, 65 in 99. But that April of 97, and the cap it off of the homer off the Budweiser sign, unbelievable. Yeah, I, yeah, and that one, that that the, the the one off Randy Johnson at the Kingdom. <laughs> that's just that's that's the one of the greatest power versus power you'll ever see. Oh, and the sound! I still remember the sound when the ball hit the bat off Randy. The one in Cleveland's off Earl Hershiser. And it was funny because the year before, McGuire hit the homer off Hershiser at the Coliseum when they were doing the construction on Mount Davis, and he literally he hit it so high and he hits it up what will eventually be the top section above the suites. Um, you have no way to tell with the construction. And Hershiser after the game, said, I thought Kenny Lofton was going to catch it. Catch it? Get the ball 480 feet. Unreal. <laughs> Number two. Number two, one of the great opening acts in Oakland history, and that's 1971 and Vita Blue. And this is, you know, this is the beginning of – the, the summer of Vita Blue, where you go on to win the AL MVP and the AL Cy Young. And you didn't start very well. The A's opened that year in 1971 with a one-game series in Washington against the Senators. A one-game series all the way across the country. Uh, Vita gets rocked. He gets knocked out in the second inning. The A's actually come home, and Vita will start the A's fourth, fifth game of the season. And his last six starts in April, Vida goes six and zero with a 1.06 ERA, 56 strikeouts in 51 innings. He only allows one homer. All six of those starts were complete games. Three of those were shutouts. I mean, un- unreal. And he goes on to have an unbelievable season, right? 24 and eight, 1.82, 300 strikeouts. Uh, more tickets were sold to see Vida Blue pitch in baseball that summer than any other player. Uh, it was the summer of Ida Blue. It was just he, the, the, the Blue Blazer, starting the All-Star game. It was all about Vida in 1971. I love it. And number one. Number one's another Hall of Famer. 1974, Reggie Jackson. You know, Jackson's coming off the 73 AL MVP, the World Series MVP, but 74, he's off to the best start and really the best season of his career. In April of that year, he had 397, 10 homers, seven doubles, 27 runs batted in, OPS of over 1,300, also steals seven bases, hit safely in 15 of the 20 games in April with 10 multi-hit games. He is on fire. And this is, this is Reggie. This is peak Reggie right now. Starting on opening day when he went four for five with two doubles, a homer, a steal against the Rangers. Uh, and then a little personal story. Um, it's June 2nd now. Reggie's still hitting 390 in June 2nd. And I go to the game with my dad. I'm six years old. And I still remember to this day, I asked, I asked my dad, I said, do you think Reggie will hit a home run today? And he said, well, you know, you never know. First time up, bomb, Reggie hits a homer. Second time up, boom, Reggie hits a homer. 
two now, third time up, and this is the thing that always stuck with me, a slow roller to third, and Reggie beats it out for a three-for-three three day. The end of that game, he's hitting 399. Three days later, what happens? Reggie and Billy North get into a brawl at Tiger Stadium. Reggie hurts his shoulder. Ray Fossey, who tried to break it up, he's out for three months with the herniated disc in his neck. Rest of the year, Reggie would only hit 239. But for that beginning, that, that to me, that was peak Reggie. And April really sold it. That, Reggie was going to have the best year I mean, just Hall of Fame year and a Hall of Fame career if he doesn't get into that fight at Tiger Stadium. You know, it's it's these guys that they were in their prime in the 70s. But a guy like me, I was born in 72. So I didn't get to really see these guys in the 70s. So I saw him in the 80s. And I was mentioning like with Garvey. That's it. Reggie could run. Reggie played center field at one point. I mean, he was a, you know, we just, you know, some of us remember him as that, and he's a Yankee now and he's older and he's slower and then he's an angel. But some of these guys were just in their prime and they could not only hit bombs, but they could really run too. Yeah. You know, five tool players, right? Because he also had an arm, you know, he, he throw guys out with the power, the average, it, it was everything that Reggie could do. And you talk again, about a multi-sport athlete coming up. I mean, Reggie was a football player. He went to Arizona State originally on a football scholarship. Um, you know, he could do everything. And obviously, as he got older, he started having the hamstring injuries with, with curtailed his speed. But for when he was with the A's, he really was a super-duper star. And that was the cover of Sports Illustrated. That's how good Reggie. I mean, think about that. On June 2nd, hitting 399, Reggie Jackson, the guy who struck out more times than anybody in baseball history, is hitting 399. I mean, he, he was never better than those first couple months of, of 1974. All righty, run it down one more time. Best Aprils, top 10 best Aprils in Oakland A's history. Number 10, Nick Swisher in 2006. Number 9, Dennis Eckersley, April 1988. Jason Giambi, April 2000. Mr. April, Dave Stewart, April 1990. Sean Manaya, April 2018. Ricky Henderson, April 1982. Number four, Dave Kong Kingman, April 1984. Number three, Mark McGuire, April 97. Number two, Vita Blue, April 1971. And the best April in Oakland A's history, number one, Reggie Jackson, April 1974. Great stuff. Be well. Be safe with your family. And hopefully we will see you soon. You too, Townie. Be well. Green and gold history right here on A's Cast and A's Cast Live. Hi, this is Sean Manaya. Sean Manaya has no hit the Red Sox. And you're listening to A's Cast, your 24-7 destination for A's baseball. Well, we've been previewing teams in Major League Baseball to keep you updated on what's going on in the game. And we've been in the Central, and we'll stay in the Central today. And we're going to talk to Tom Brenneman coming up here at 2.30, one of the great voices in the game and also in the National Football League and all the big college football games he's done. And his father just retired, Ford C. Frick Award winner, Hall of Famer, Marty Brenneman. So we'll be breaking down the Cincinnati Reds 
who, by the way, they have not been in the playoffs since 2013. They lost in the wild card round to who? If I remember correctly, that would have been the Johnny Cueto game where the fans in Pittsburgh, after 20 years, actually we've been 21 years that year, where they didn't have a winning season, Johnny Cueto on the mound, the fans started chanting, Cueto, Cueto, he drops the ball, next pitch, gives up a moonshot home run to Russell Martin, and the rest was history. The Pirates wanted to lose the next series to the uh, Cardinals, but yes, they lost to the Pirates returning to the playoffs in 2013. All right, so we'll be breaking down a little Cincinnati Reds baseball. I got to tell you, it was pretty cool. So went in to play the Bengals, and that's a that's a flight where you get there on Friday. You, we leave on Friday. And so two nights of hanging out in Cincinnati and went over to Kentucky because literally, if you've never been there, you really don't need to go. Uh, but if you – there, there's a river that separates Ohio and Kentucky. So they're they're just across the Cincinnati and Kentucky are just right across the river from each other. But in all these bars, not only in Cincinnati and restaurants, but also in Kentucky, do they have incredible memorabilia from the Big Red Machine? I mean, just everywhere you go, it's the old school pictures of Pete Rose, Johnny Bench. Uh, Oakland's own Joe Morgan, Tony Perez. Uh, just pretty. It, it was it was really cool. I mean, there's this great tradition when you think about Cincinnati Reds baseball. Remember back in the day, opening day was they'd have a parade in Cincinnati, and Cincinnati would be the first team to play because they're the oldest team. And then stuff started changing where we opened up, you know, in different parts. You know, open up in Mexico or some. But back in the day, baseball started when the Cincinnati Reds, where they were ready to play their first game. They have been bad lately. 64 wins in 2015, 68 wins in 2016, 68 wins in 2017, and 67 wins in 2018. They have been bad. But a lot of people think they're going to be good. And people think they're going to have a chance at the division. All right, I want to take a look at the baseball reference standings. Where are the A's right now? They're doing a simulated season right now, baseball reference. Cody, where are the athletics in this simulated season? So the Evil Empire is in, is in Oakland starting a – well, the series already started – starting a three-game set today. And the A's take game one of the series 4-2 to move to 11-3 and on the year. The best team. Good start. The best team in Major League Baseball. They scored three runs in the in the eighth inning to take the win. Jake Diekman picked up his first win of the season. Liam Hendricks his fourth save. Bassey goes seven in the third, allowing two runs and striking out nine. He has a nice little two point seven one ERA on the year. The Yankees drop to nine and five. But listen to this pitching matchup on Sunday. Garrett Cole. Because I went, I went and, looked, went and looked ahead. Garrett Cole versus Jesus Lazardo. Oh was. God, how good is that? Uh, Garrett Cole in the year is one and one with a four five eight ERA and oh, three starts. Oh, thirty that's strikeouts, not- thirty strikeouts in nineteen and two thirds innings though. That's a lot of strikeouts. That's not worth three hundred plus million dollars. Yeah. Can't be having a four ERA in your prime 
with the Yankees. So that's a you know what I that this doesn't shot this if the A's I think this 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 is this is once we get this thing going man this team's confident I would not be shocked I mean this, and this really to me this sim, simulation deal is exactly what needs to happen for the A's oh I agree they need to get out to a hot start no more especially oh God I mean. That was kind of the the big keys uh, that we were talking about in spring training. And now with a shortened season, you cannot do this. We're going to be 500 or a little bit below 500 for a while, and then we're just going to get red hot. You, You may run out of time. You need to start out hot and stay hot. Which is something the A's have has escaped the A's the last couple of years. Even though they won 97 games, a slow start has been something that's escaped them. The the Dodgers, by the way, are 10 and four. The Diamondbacks 10 and five, catch you know nipping uh, nipping on their heels there in the NL West, or which would be the now uh, which would be the Cactus League for those two teams if we do that new season. Worst team in baseball. Do you know who it is? Worst team in baseball. Simulated season. I'm going to go with. Oh, I think you already told me this. I, yeah, I already know who it is. So, I, I mean, I can I can tell you it will be your fighting Phillies. The fight and Phils. Yeah, the fight and Phils are 3-11, followed by uh, the Padres at 4-10. The Angels at 4-10. The Tigers at or four and nine, the Twins are actually the worst team in the uh, AL Central. Four and ten. Really? Yeah, and then the Orioles are five and nine. Five wins for the Orioles. That's a nice uh, trend upward from where they were last year. Don't tell my brother that the that the that the Friars are four and ten. He'll be in full on panic mode. Let, let's let's pull up their uh, let's pull up the stats on the Padres and see how one Manny Machado is doing. See well, if is he trying? Is, is, is tra- Manny Machado actually trying? In uh, in this simulated season, uh, not really. Uh, Two hundred four batting average, one oh. homer, seven RBIs. He has a six ten OPS. Uh, I would say he's not doing well in his age twenty seven season. He's played in all fourteen games. He struck out ten times in fifty four at bats. Not good for Manny Machado, who is not trying. But Eric Hosmer having a nice little bounce back at two seventy nine. So the two highest paid guys on the team struggling for the Padres. I'd be interested in talking to a player who's not having a good season. This simulation, go, hey, how do you feel about that? Uh, let's pull up the. Let's see. Let's see who's not doing well in the on our Oakland Athletics, according to the simulation, because we know how, eleven. I, I got them at eleven and three. Yeah, they're eleven and three. Uh, we know how good Marcus Simeon's doing. He has the eight home runs. Oh, Chris, Chris Davis. Chris Davis. Chris Davis has seven homers and he's hitting three oh two. It's a bit above the 247 we're used to. Uh, Chappie, Matt Chapman, is hitting 179. Now, he has three homers and 10 RBIs, but that's not good. Matt Olson hitting 217, two homers, five RBIs. But players like Ramon Laureano, who's hitting 304 with three homers, are the guys carrying the A's in last in, in, in the game against the Yankees, which would have been tonight, which was already played. Mark Canna was the big hero as he drove in two runs in the eighth with a double. Canna on the year is hitting 250 with one homer and eight RBI. So some of the guys we saw last year put up really big numbers are not, except for Marcus Simeon and a nice little bounce back by Chris Davis. Can you imagine Chris Davis in the simulated season wins the batting title? Oh, boy. 
I mean, that, how crazy would that be? That he, <laughs> he he hits like three he hits three forty seven just to be yeah. hundred points above his career batting average, pretty much. And he wins. Yeah, that's not gonna happen. But he he might win the home run title. I mean, he's right behind Marcus. Oh, look at look, look Bassie's having a good start of the year. He started three games with a two point two one ERA. Yeah, he's, Sean Manaya is out to a great at three starts with a one point one four ERA. Let's see here. Where are the other starters? Oh, Lou Trevino with a nice little bounce back. He's got a 1.59 ERA. Proud of the PSAC conference in Pennsylvania. Fires is struggling with a 6.55 earn run average. But they they got Fires coming out of the bullpen. What's the deal? Yeah, remember, he started after uh, Joaquin Soria started as the opener. Fires came in and gave up seven runs in that start. I think it was against Minnesota, if I'm not mistaken, who he started against before the uh, A's were down in Anaheim. Marcus Simeon still leads Major League Baseball in home runs with eight, followed by Chris Davis, Joey Gallo, and the Franimal was always seven. Well, I, that – I mean, saying Mike Fires is not going to start, it, and he's going to be the guy, the opener. He's going to have an opener. Lou Trevino's been the opener for him. It's like, that's not – that, come on. I mean, what, 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 I mean, I, I love what they're doing. This is fun to talk about, and it's fun to look at, but come on. I mean, Mike Fires is taking the ball opening day, for God's sakes. Uh, he's going to start. Former A, Kurt Suzuki. I'm looking at the uh, stats for the leaderboard. Former A, Kurt Suzuki hitting a cool 444 on the year with one homer, seven RBIs. Um, I don't know how long that's going to uh, stay up. And then the Yankees' Miguel Andujar, who's back from injury, is hitting 444 as well with two homers and 13 – or let's see, two – yeah, two homers, 13 RBIs for the evil empire, New York Yankees, and his return from injury. Where, 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 where's your halos? My halo. Um, uh, it's not my halos. Uh, those are Dina, my fiance's halos. They are 4-10 and ten on the season. Let's see what uh, – we looked the other day at how Mike Trout and Rendon were doing. Oh, Trout's done. Yeah, Trout – Then they say his career is already on the, on the downside. He's up a little, up a little bit. Two thirteen batting average, uh, one homer, two RBI. The home run and RBI is not there for Michael Michael Trout. Then Anthony Rendon, I think he was in like one sixty the other day when we looked. He's uh, hitting one seventy five now with two homers, eight RBIs. I told you Justin Upton's leading the way for them with six homers, eighteen RBIs for the Angels as they struggle once again. And Otani's hitting four hundred, four hundred for Otani with no homers through RBI. So looks like Otani's getting is uh, ready to get back on the uh, get back into DH. For the how, how many Angel. how many uh, how many games has he played? Uh, Otani, yeah. Otani has played in nine games, and let's see, has he start? He's zero and two on the mound in three starts with a four eight six ERA. Dare we, dare we say he's he's done as a pitcher? Just to squarely be a hitter, kid. Well, he 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 goes onto the list of guys that this layoff is helping. I mean, anybody who's coming back from Tommy John surgery or any type of surgery, you know, you, you, you think of certain players. I mean, Otani is definitely one one of the major players who's benefiting from no games right now. Aaron Judge, when we found out it just wasn't the rib, it was a collapsed lung. I mean, who knows how many games he was going to miss. Giancarlo Stanton was going to start the year hurt once again. So for some players, not having these games is helping them to get back on the field when we do start this thing. Uh, Aaron Judge not listed on the Yankees here in the simulations. 
So they must think he's on the IL where Stanton has played in all 14 games, and he has six homers and 11 RBIs, but only hitting a cool 208 for the one they used to call Mike Stanton. I like the list of the most hyped prospects for every team. I Who was that... the A's, by the way? You didn't have it on here. Oh, it's, it's Todd Van Poppel. Todd Van uh, – Mr. Undefeated. <laughs> Couldn't lose a game in high school. He was bad. They... I remember he's, – he's, he's like uh, – I want to say he's just a little bit uh, – I think he's just a little bit older than I was because he, he came out – In 91, he was like 18, so you figured that was – 20, 30 years ago. So he's probably like 47, 48. Yo, he, he's, uh, he's born in December. So yeah, he was in, he was, uh, he was in, uh, he was in high school at the same time I was. We're the same age, 48. I just turned it. He'll be 49, uh, in December. Um, but yeah, he was class of 90. Cause I remember the sports illustrated, like this guy, I mean, he was being compared to Nolan Ryan, obviously being a Texas guy. You know, never lost in high school. He ended up getting to the big leagues and pitched for the A's and having a career because there, there, there's some prospects that are so overhyped and they never even get to the big leagues. I mean, he got to the big leagues. Uh, Brian Taylor. That's one. That's one guy I could think of. Number one overall pick. Did he make it to the majors with the Yankees in 1989? Uh, Van Poppel's best year, I think, was 2001. He was a reliever for the Cubs. He had an, he actually had a really – I think he had like an ERA in 59 games, like 252 or something like that. Best year he had of his career because as a starter, he had a negative war. He just wasn't any good, and the Ace cut him. Yeah. Let's see. He was he played, he played all the way to 04 with the Cincinnati Reds. God, he played longer than I thought. Todd Van Poppel. But some of the names on this list are awesome. Uh, Troy, uh, Fremont High School, San Jose's own, or would you call that Campbell? Troy Tulowitzki. Fremont, uh, that's tough because I know what you're talking about too. I, uh, because if you look on his baseball reference page, it says that he's uh, from like Santa. I think it says he's from Santa Clara or something. I don't know. But so you got David Wright with the Mets. Oh no, that that list I have right there. That was me like building off of that list that that oh. um, Schoenfeld did. Those are my guys. I thought who were you know highly talented guys whose careers were cut short. Because I thought of like him. David Wright, Brandon Webb, Mark Pryor, Johan Santana, Nobar, et cetera. Uh, the guys on the list, though, the show, like he had like Bryce Harper on there for the Nationals. Like there were some guys, and then he broke them into tears. It was a good article, but uh, I thought the the Todd Van Poppel one was was fascinating because you know he was the one for the A's, and we've seen some guys like your guy Derek Barton be highly touted and, and uh, never really put it all together. All right, let's go through some of these, and the Angels one is great because. One of the one of the best success stories in the history of the game, coming out of the University of Michigan, no question is, is Jim Abbott. I mean, he was an inspiration to so many people, and Jim Abbott was very good. He's got Mike Trout on there, but he says the most overhyped for the uh, the most hype, not overhyped, the most hype ever was Shohei Otani. I love the Royals one because you know. I, I think this guy's the greatest athlete of all time. That's Bo Jackson. You're talking about a guy who was an all-star and an all-pro in football. No one has ever done that before. He was on my and list no, of players. No one probably ever will. Yeah, I put him on that list of players whose careers got cut short by injury. 
because uh, he's and, good. And think about this with Bo Jackson. His very first at-bat on the first pitch he saw when he came back from surgery and he was with the White Sox, he hit a home run. I mean, Bo Jackson, if Bo Jackson doesn't get hurt, and, f- and, if, and if you're young and you never got to see him run the football, I mean, he literally went from baseball to football and immediately was the best running back in the game. They, he pushed Marcus Allen, Hall of Famer. <laughs> Marcus, go to fullback. We got Bo Jackson, uh, the Mariners. That's an easy. You know, this is this is highly debatable. Ken Griffey Jr. or Alex Rodriguez? Oh, I would. Uh, is, is this this is the is most hyped? Right, I would go probably. I would go probably Griffey. Probably only because of his father. I would say because because of, of the lineage with his dad. I mean, there were people saying this this kid in South Florida is one of the most incredible prospects we've ever seen. I mean, he was highly Alex Rodriguez. No, I mean the guy had two hundred hits like in his second year with the Mariners. I mean, it, it, if you take away Griffey's history of, of his father playing Big Red Machine and for the Yankees. I don't know. I think that would be a toss-up because, A- I mean, I, I I remember reading about A-Rod when he was drafted that this guy is just going to be – this guy is just going to, you know, through the moon how good this guy is going to be. Yeah, he well, he went on to have a nice little career. I believe today, uh, I want to say it was 20 years ago or t- 19 years ago on this date, he hit his – he became the youngest player to join the 400 home run club with when he was with the Reds. Uh, just shows you how good he was. Uh Really go with the Mariners, then he goes to the Reds. And, I mean, he didn't have the, the career at the Reds that people thought he would because of the injuries. But still, he was a probably one of the best swings I've ever seen, and he made baseball even cooler when he put the hat on backwards. That did it for you, huh? The hat backwards? I mean, what other baseball player – I'm sorry, I, I didn't see uh, didn't see Babe Ruth going out there with a backwards cap on or uh, or Mickey Mantle. Or any of the guys in the seventies and eighties. I don't think Ray Fossey was wearing a backwards cap in the seventies. Also, another one that's highly debatable: the Atlanta Braves. He takes Andrew Jones over the number one overall pick, Chipper Jones. I mean, Andrew Jones had a nice career too. I mean, he was a. He's not, I, I, I'm not buying this at all. Dude, Chipper was the first pick in the draft. Uh, and a Hall, Hall of Famer. Who was. Yeah, everyone knew who – what's his real name, Larry? Is that his real name is? But everyone yeah. knew how good Chipper was. And Andrew Jones ended up being a, a great defensive center. He had a nice career. I think he had what? Did he have 400 home runs in his career? He ended up having a nice career. Oh, there's no doubt. I, Made he, a lot of money too. Uh, I, I'm with you. I think Chipper would be more would have been more hyped than, than Andrew Jones. I think Chipper might have been the most hyped Braves guy in a long time. Mark Pryor with the Cubs. We remember him coming out of USC. He was Mr. Perfect Mechanics and then just couldn't stay healthy. Yeah, USC, he was 15-1 and with a 1.69 ERA in his junior season. But just never could stay healthy. Uh, the Yankees, here's a great example. Remember Brian Taylor, the left-hander who just blew smoke, never even made it to the big leagues. Yep, 1989. Remember it well because he was a guy that couldn't even make it to the majors. I remember him. They say he is like the biggest draft bust of all time. And there's a lot of guys on there. Rockaball Deli is another draft bust. There's been so many guys that have been Matt Bush, 
Josh Hamilton was one for a long time until he had to bounce back with the Rangers and Reds. But, yeah, Brian Taylor, I don't think there's ever going to be one that – I don't think we're going to see a guy for a long time not make it to the majors after being drafted. in the. Well, I think he was number one overall, wasn't he? Number one overall, yeah. Yeah. So Brian Cashman said, quote, Bill Livesey, I think is how you say it, is one of the greatest scouts of our era. He told me the best amateur position player he ever saw was Alex Rodriguez and the best amateur pitcher he ever saw, Brian Taylor. By the way, there's some names on here. Um, I don't know, Joe DiMaggio, you might have heard of him. Uh, Mickey Mantle, uh, another guy by the name of Derek Jeter. <laughs> yeah, those guys are pretty. I think they've they're all in that 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 museum in New York. They call the Hall of Fame. I think they're all in there. I mean, you're trying to tell me that uh, Joe DiMaggio wasn't hyped up. Uh, Bay Area Zone, Greg Jeffries for the New York Mets, ahead of Tom Terrific, Tom Seaver, Daryl Strawberry, Dwight Gooden. And can we throw in also first-round pick Billy Bean? Yeah, I was going to say, when, when are you going to throw Billy in there? What about David Wright? David Wright was a highly touted guy for the for the Mets for a long time. Uh, a guy that was not – Jacob deGrom was not a highly touted Mets guy. Uh, he's a bit of a sleeper sleeper guy that came out of nowhere for them. But uh, the Mets have had some guys over the past decade or so that have been highly touted to have – it. Uh, was it Lasting's Millage? Lessing's Millage was a the guy they had they thought was going to be the f- future of the franchise, and he never did anything. Yeah, I, I thought uh, I thought the Rays was very interesting because the Rays have had quite a few uh, big time. Going to be a great player, he gets the nod here. But Matt White, think about Josh Hamilton, B.J. Upton, David Price. These guys were all. I mean, David Price coming out of Vanderbilt, everybody thought he was the guy. Who, who, I didn't look. I, I this. I didn't look. I wasn't trying to be selfish, but uh, who they have? Who does David have for the Pirates? I'm just going down the list right now because okay. the list goes in tears. Red Sox. Uh, he was a kid in San Diego that they said uh, this guy can hit, and he may be the uh, he may be uh, he may be the best player in baseball when he gets here because he was playing in the Pacific Coast League back then for the Padres. That's the great Ted Williams is the most hyped is a most hype guy ever for the Red Sox. I think Ted I think Ted would go on to have a pretty good career. Uh he wrote a book. Um he missed a couple of years cuz of uh service time. He still uh was the last guy to hit 400 in a season. Uh he was um he was a nice little ball player there for the uh, Red Sox. Is his head still frozen? I was just going to think I think is he still frozen cuz I remember that was a big thing. Uh I haven't heard anything about it. I remember like, like there was that like 10 plus years ago when they were talking about him being frozen, but uh, I haven't heard anything about it more recently. I can double check to see if that's that's still a thing. How about the Orioles? It's Ben McDonald. Ben McDonald, we got to see play at LSU and uh, his career in the uh, in the College World Series. So I see that one. J.D. Drew, St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, remember, he's a Boris guy, and there was always issues with him and money. Always J.D. Drew, if you remember back. Yeah, I remember J.D. because he was with – the Cardinals, and then he went to the – was he with the Braves after that? He was very, very – him and Ankiel were the two guys, like, in the late two thousand, late 90s, early 2000s that were very hyped. Because remember, Ankiel was supposed to be the, the hard-throwing lefty that, you know, he had no command and he moves to the outfield. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I remember J.D. Drew – J.D. Drew's career very well. Joe Maurer, your, your, your favorite of all time, Joe Maurer with the Minnesota Twins. Future Hall of who- Famer. Had the sign to play quarterback at Florida State for Bobby Bowden, but ended up taking the money and had a pretty good career. Uh, we told you the A's, Todd Van Poppel, 
they they acted like there are people saying, "Oh yeah, he throws as hard as Nolan Ryan." No, not even close. Josh Beckett for the Marlins. Remember him coming up? David Clyde for the Texas Rangers. Uh, oh, you know they the other they have, they have an honorable mention for the Texas Rangers. Your friend Jerks and Profar. Profar was so hyped. He was the best minor leaguer. Oh my god, he really just was. Just never know. Uh, Diamondbacks. It's uh, Justin Upton, but Travis Lee. Remember the first baseman yes. out of San Diego State. I got to play against him. Uh, Los Angeles Dodgers. I was shocked by this one. Corey Seager. Out of all the great Dodgers there have been, Corey Seager was the most hyped. Mm, I mean, we know. Look how hyped that Gavin Lux is. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> but I remember the hype on Seager was real. I mean, he was like the number one guy like forever. Like they were saying like, yeah, he's the guy. Like, he, But you're right. There's been so many guys they've had in their system that have come through that have been great. Piazza being one of them. The Giants one, I disagree with. They've got Tim Lincecum. Was he really that hyped? I mean, I know he's a first-rounder, but was he really that hyped? No, You know who had hype? Because he was legit, and we got to see him on one of the great college baseball teams of all time? That would be Will Clark. Will the Thrill. All, all those guys. Brantley, uh, Palmero. Who's the guy who was the old White Sox closer who set the record for most saves in a season? God. Uh, Thigpen. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Those guys were all on. I mean, they they were coming out. You know, We were seeing these guys on ESPN. And when Will Clark, I remember, Will Clark was a big deal. I, I, I don't remember. I know people, I don't remember the hype. I, there was a lot of hype on Buster Posey. But I don't remember anybody having more hype than Will Clark. Uh, let's see. Padres are just below that. Yeah, this is what Fernando Tatis Jr., yes, but Dave Winfield. He was Dave Winfield was a star. And Dave Winfield, they were like, he can play basketball, he can play football. I I I, I think I'm going with Dave Winfield, the Hall of Famer, over Fernando Tatis Jr. I mean, I know the hype on Tatis Jr. is real because we've seen him and another Another team like the White Sox. And the White Sox originally had Tatis Jr. and they traded him <laughs> to the Padres. But yeah, uh, Dave Winfield had a nice had a nice career. Uh, you know more about him than I did because you grew up watching him. Uh, I really didn't, but I knew who Dave. Obviously, I knew who Dave Winfield is. I remember. Oh, well, look at his numbers. Oh, they're great with the Yankees and and everyone else he played for. I remember, I remember his. He had a nice career. Oh, Dave Winfield. Um, as. <laughs> When he went to New York, everything changed for him. You know, he's kind of – he's an all-star with the Padres, and you're in a small market, and everything's cool, and you're a star, and you're going to the all-star game. And everything. But then he signed with the Yankees and the expectations. You know, this goes back to, to telling people. Back in the day, the Yankees didn't make the postseason. And George Steinbrenner called Dave Winfield Mr. May because he had Mr. October and Reggie – but I always said he was Mr. May because he didn't show up. And, <laughs> and it was a, I mean, remember, he he had so he had like a private eye and was trying to get dirt on Dave Winfield. It got it got George Steinbrenner. Do you know that he got suspended for that? Yeah, I remember he was suspended for a while. Uh, he got suspended multiple times, I think, in his career. It was it was it was it was bad. All right. Milwaukee Brewers, Gary Sheffield over Robin Yount and Ben Sheets. 
Oh, Ben Sheets. I remember him. I remember how the, I mean, I was a kid, like like a little kid, like 10 or 11 when the hype on Ben Sheets was out there. And then with the Houston Astros, Carlos Carrera over J.R. Richard, Floyd Bannister, and Eric Anthony, just going through all these teams. Billy Hamilton with the Cincinnati Reds. Really? Over Roldis Chapman? Uh, it was because of Hamilton and what he did in the minor leagues was stealing all the bases. He what, was about, a, what about what about I mean, was there no hype for Johnny Bench or Joe Morgan or none of those guys? Uh, I guess they thought they were going to be Hall of Famers when they when the Reds first got them. Pittsburgh Pirates. Oh, let me hear. Pirate. Let me hear who Take it is. Guess. Take a guess. Most hyped prospect. Uh, it's not McCutcheon. Let's see, not Garrett Cole. Huh? Who would it be? Um, Chad Hutchinson. Or, um, what was his name? Um, it's probably not him. Who is it? Well, I can't believe the guy they left off the list, but it's Chris Benson. <laughs> he was the number one overall pick. Where did he get? He went to Clemson. Yeah, somewhere like that. I, I just remember the story about him when he was with the Mets because he was so bad with the Pirates. Um, I put him on the list of uh, uh, draft busts that I made. I came up with uh, Benson. I remember when he was with the, the Mets, his wife, I think her name was Anna Benson, said that if she that he, if he ever cheated on her, she would um, quote unquote hook up with everyone in the Mets clubhouse. That was the ultimatum she gave him. <laughs> he ever did that. And I'll never forget that. But, yeah, he was uh, he was a bust for sure. And he was, But he was very hyped. I remember that. I was a little kid. But who, who, who were the other options that he put in there? Uh, a guy by the name Barry Bonds. Uh, yeah, Barry Lamar had a nice little run with the Pirates there. No Bobby I Benia? Mean, coming out of Arizona State, he, he, he made the big leagues. Like, he wasn't in the minor leagues very long. I'm so surprised it's not Barry. Barry Bonds. Everybody knew Barry Bonds was. Was it? Is it Chad Hermanson? I think that was the guy the Pirates had. And like, he was the guy they were feeding up when I was a kid. Like the best player when I was little was like Tony Womack and Kevin Young. And then like Chad Hermanson was like the guy. They're like, yeah, he's gonna be the next big thing. And Brian Bullington and he's, none of these guys ever did anything because Dominic Brown is for the Phillies. I have no idea who he is. But really, the guy on the list that uh, Pat Burrell's on the list, Juan Samuel. Dominic Brown was very – I remember Dominic – because Dominic Brown was more rec- – that's recency bias. That was like 10-plus years ago. Never – he had okay, one yeah. He had one good year with the Phillies where he hit like over 20 home runs, and then he went to the Blue Jays, and he's been out of baseball since. But he was very hyped for the Phillies. Okay, Cleveland Indians also considered the honorable mention Bob Feller, Vaughn Hayes, Mark Lewis, Manny Ramirez – and Francisco Lindor. Where's Ray Fossey on that list? That's a, that's a good uh, honorable mention think, list. Who do you think? Who do you think number one hype prospect ever for the Cleveland Indians? And it's not Bob Feller. <laughs> it's not Bob Feller, Manny Ramirez, or Lindor. Who do you think it is? Uh, friend probably. of the program. Friend of the program. Um, well, it can't be Tomei because I never had him on. Uh, I'm I'm drawing a blank on who who it could be. Sandy Alomar Jr. Oh, Sandy. Okay. Yeah. New friend of the uh, show. We'll, go, we'll do this quickly. Tigers, listen to this list. The honorable mention. Al Kaline, Hall of Famer who just passed. Kurt Gibson, Justin Verlander, Cameron Mabin, Andrew Miller, Casey Mize. Those guys aren't the most hype. Most hype, Matt Anderson. <laughs> like, really? Uh, Rockies, Todd Helton, Troy Tulowitzki, Dexter Fowler. They go with... Ian Stewart. Oh, yeah, he was one. Third baseman. 
That's pretty shocking. That is pretty shocking. All right, coming up next, we're previewing the Cincinnati Reds with one of the top broadcasters in the business. Tom Brenneman is going to join us next right here on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Now back to the town. Here's Chris Townsend. Last year, the Reds were 75 and 87. They're predicting that they're going to be in the hunt this year because of the pitching and the offense that they have added. The oldest franchise in baseball history. I got a chance earlier today to hook up with the voice of the Cincinnati Reds, Tom Brenneman. Tom, it's great to have you on the program once again. Uh, How's life treating you there in Ohio? Well, everything's great. You know, obviously, uh, it's a a trying time in this country. And, uh, you know, um, our governor back here, Mike DeWine, was one of the you know, the early leaders shut some stuff down and, and uh, it's done a great job back here. And so, uh, so far, so good. And obviously there's a lot of sadness and tragedy everywhere from coast to coast and all over the world. So just hoping and praying uh, for everybody out there. You know, this upcoming season for the Cincinnati Reds is going to be so different because your father's not going to be on the air. And, of course, he got honored yeah. everywhere. We honored him here in Oakland last year as he's truly one of the great yeah voices of the game so it's just obviously retirement's gonna be great for him he had a blessed career and the two of you got to work together but it'll just be a little odd not having your dad around it really will uh i think it will be on multiple levels uh obviously for the people that have listened to him for 47 years uh so that the players because as you know they come and go uh much like you had out there for for years and years a, a guy like bill king and it's uh, and then it'll be different just for us who, who had a chance to be around him every day. I, I think that the highlight of the day for most of us when we went to work uh, was having dinner with him because he's just so much fun to be around. He's a funny guy. He loves giving people the business and uh, and loves taking it back. And uh, we're, we're really going to miss him uh, a lot. There's no doubt about it. You know, Bob Nightingale, a friend of this program, we just had Bob on two days ago. Uh, has now put out on USA Today about how this potentially could get going once again where the teams in Florida would play each other. You know Arizona real well from your time with the Diamondbacks, and all the teams in Arizona would start to play, and whoever's the best team out of Arizona plays the best team out of Florida. I don't know if this can happen. I just know what it would mean. I think everybody just to see some live yep. entertainment, what that would mean. Yep. It kind of, wouldn't you say propel our game back to being national pastime? Well, it would certainly help. I mean, you know, to, to, to have the opportunity and look, there are far more important things out there than, than any of the professional sports franchises and collegiate athletics and heck even high school. I got two kids that, uh, you know, were in the middle of their spring uh, seasons uh, here in Cincinnati. And, and obviously for the time being that is shut down. So, you know, there are a lot more important things in life, obviously, as we're learning literally minute by minute. But um, it would be a, an incredible lift to the sport of baseball if they can get back on the field. It would be great for the country. All those things you said, I couldn't say it better. Uh, but from, 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 the, from the health standpoint of the game, it would be a, a huge lift because the game has really started to suffer in recent years on multiple levels. And, um, and and needs to find a way to, 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 to steer its way back on track because it's been off track, I think, I feel like, for quite some time. 
Well, when I look at the NL Central, so what we've done with this program is we're going, we're, we're doing every single team, and we started with the NL West. We're now in the Central, and the Cincinnati Reds really are kind of a chic pick right now to win the Central, and we're, 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 we're in this world of we don't know how long the season's going to be, so kind right. of underdogs in a shortened season, it's kind of anybody's game right now when you think about it. Well, it, it is. I think that I think it's probably you know you you hear all the time when you're coming out of spring training or going into spring training that the hitters, you know, and theoretically, and I'm sure a lot of people would tell you this, most people feel like hitters generally are ahead of the pitchers when the season begins. I think we universally let's say agree on that point. But but one of the things for the Reds that that you know, they, they, certainly their starting rotation is among the best in all the major league baseball. And, and, you know, you start with Luis Castillo, who, who, you know, is as good a pitcher as really as there is in the national league right now. And then you follow up with Sonny Gray. Of course, you know all about him. He had an incredible season last year with the Reds. And, you know, Trevor Bauer is a guy that's been as good as anybody in the American league for a long time. He did not pitch well once he came over from Cleveland in the trade last year for the Reds, but most people feel like that's a bump in the road. And then, you know, guys you've never heard of, like Anthony DiSclefani, has become a rock-solid major league starting pitcher. In fact, he had the second or third best DRA in the National League from the All-Star break on last year as he started to, to grow up a little bit. And then they bring in a veteran like Wade Miley. So, you know, when you start with, with that quintet of pitchers uh, in your starting rotation, along with a bullpen that looks to be like a major strength of the team, if you believe that pitching uh, can lead the world, anybody in the division from a pitching standpoint they look to be the best pitching team in the division yeah we've had trevor and as you mentioned we've known sonny gray since he came up and uh you mentioned trevor bauer who we've had on this program he really is a fascinating guy and he's a really smart guy i love interviewing him i I love talking to him and and, and, you know how many times have we said ah these baseball players are just blah they don't say anything that is not trevor bauer it's not true. It is definitely not Trevor Bauer, uh, but, but like anything else. And look, if you had to pick one or the other of guys that aren't afraid to step out there and say something compared to guys that don't say anything, I'll take the guys that will say something all day, every day. And I, and, and I certainly believe you feel the same way. Having said that, you know, I, I think there have been a couple of times where you can make the argument and he's even admitted himself where he sort of crossed that line. You know, when he when he turned it into a personal thing by by you know making the comments he made about the commissioner, whether you like the commissioner or don't like the commissioner, you can sit around and debate that all day long. But you know, I, I think he even admitted that he wishes he could take back what he said and then some of the things he said about him this off season. But you're right, he's a super smart guy. Uh, he's a caring guy. You know, he, he cares about helping people and doing things for charity and and trying to make people's lives better if he can with his platform and the situation. So you know, I, I I'm with you. Um, you know, it's, it's fun having him around here. And then you talk about the offense that you've brought in as it's clear indication that Cincinnati believes they can win. That's why they're adding guys and spending some money. Yeah. Well, the, the offense was, was just so inconsistent last year. And, you know, the, the outfield production was brutal until Aquino had the, the, the month of all time for any player in the history of the game in August and then really tailed off in September. But, you know, they, they, they've got good players along the infield. They've got productive players. Um, and, and now all of a sudden they're just like, you know, hey, with this pitching staff that we've assembled through various ways, whether it be drafting them, developing, trading for them, signing them, whatever it might be, um, 
you know, it's time now to, 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 to give those pitchers an offense that if they do their job, you're going to score enough to win a lot more than you're going to lose. And, you know, they bring in Moustakas, who's just an outstanding player, um, really good player. Castellanos looks like he has finally started to live up to, to the number one pick billing. He had good years in Detroit, but nothing like he had last year once he came over to the Cubs. I mean, he, he was he was arguably one of the top three, four, five offensive players in the National League once he came in the trade from the Tigers to Chicago. So you put those guys in your lineup to go with, you know, a Eugenio Suarez, who hit, you know, 49 home runs last year, has become one of the great, you know, third basemen in, in all the major league baseball. He gets overshadowed a lot by, you know, guys like Arenado and, and Machado and some others that are in the league, but he's as good as anybody around uh, on both sides of the field, in, in the field and, and at the plate. And, and then, you know, you've got some other guys you've got to count on to step up and, and deliver the goods and, and hope that Votto can come back and at least be a player who, who, who was a productive player. He'll never be an MVP caliber player again, I don't think. So we go into Detroit. He wears us out for four games in Detroit. Then he goes to the Cubs. And, of course, the A's were taken on the Central last year, so I had to see him multiple times. And it, it's, yeah. it's, it's amazing. He's a doubles machine. Yeah, yeah. He had over 50 of them last year, almost 60 if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it, it it was an unbelievable uh, it was an unbelievable season. I'm I'm, I'm really looking forward because I also worked for the Raiders and we were back taking on Cincinnati. I want to say it was two seasons ago. And when you go around town, we even went over to Kentucky and just just see everybody with the, all the big red machine stuff. Cincinnati and we've been watching a lot of uh, classic baseball. We're actually going to be airing next Friday here in the Bay Area. We're going to be airing the. Uh, some games from the 1972 World Series, A's yeah. from A's against the Reds. But there's just such great history. I mean, the Cincinnati Reds are truly one of the great franchises in our game. Well, they, they have been, and they're the oldest franchise. They were the first franchise last summer. Uh, we celebrated our 150th anniversary. That's the oldest professional sports franchise in North America. And so, you know, there is there's a lot of tradition. Uh, there's been a lot of success. It's not necessarily been the case for the last number of years. Um, uh, but, you know, they had a good little run at it, uh, you know, in, in 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. But, man, since then, they have been lean, lean days uh, for this franchise. And, and you'd like to think they'll find a way to, to – to, they're, they're certainly going in the right direction. There are a lot of franchises out there that, that are not – you know, you, you could say they're just not – they're not trying. And you cannot say that about the Reds franchise. They are trying to win. Yeah, and that that is good news. And hopefully, we'll get football going again. I mean, I, I would like yeah, to. See, yeah. I would like to see baseball get the headlines of being the first team. I and mean, hopefully, what happens in done. I mean, really, what we've been trying to do here, Tom, and, and our and our president Dave Cavill is like, you guys got to get back on the air to give some relief to the people who are locked inside and, and, and need a yep. distraction. And so bringing on familiar voices and of course your voice for all the years in the NFL and college football and major league baseball, I, I think it's really key for people to hear from someone like yourself because your voice, I mean, people know, they, they know who you are and they love your work. Well, I, I really appreciate those kind words. You know, it's funny. I, I, I you know, since we moved back to the Midwest after having lived in, in Arizona so long and all those years, I mean, Saturday after Saturday after Saturday for you know, 12 years, um, 
you know, I had a chance to do that to the Fox Saturday baseball game of the week. And it's, I'm always, I'm just always amazed at how, how friendly and kind so many people I meet, especially up and down the West Coast and into California, especially Northern California. And I don't say that because I'm on the air with you. I mean, heck, I remember the first time I met Aaron Rodgers and, you know, came walking in the door of a meeting. We were doing a Packers game. He says, man, he says, well, I feel like I grew up with you in my household. And I'm looking at him like, what? You know, he's like, man, you know, he said, I was a big, you know, baseball fan and the Giants and the A's and all this stuff. He said, I used to watch you. I see, he said, I, every Saturday. And I'm just like, well, now, now you know you're getting old. But but it was it was very flattering. And 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 some of those, so many of those days, whether it's over at, uh, you know, at the Coliseum or uh, at AT and old AT and T Park, um, the people are just awesome. I, and I, I sincerely mean that. It's one of my favorite places to go visit and be around the people who are sports fans because it's a great area out there. You know, during these times, you know, you've been watching a lot of MLB Network. What's it like for you when you get to sit back and watch some old games with Cincinnati Reds and the big red machine and you're looking at Johnny Bench and Pete Rose and Joe Morgan yeah. who's from Oakland? What, what's that like for you? I mean, it's great. And, you know, I lived I lived the, the, the most, you know, blessed childhood that anybody could ever want if you're a sports fan. You know, my dad got the job with the Reds in 74, and we were living in Virginia Beach, Virginia. And uh, we go to spring training when the Reds were in Tampa training back in those days, and that was their spring training home forever. Most people think the Yankees have been there forever. The Reds were the ones that were there forever. And I just recall that, you know, the very first day walking in the clubhouse. And, I mean, the first four guys I meet are, are Pete Rose, Johnny Bench, Joe Morgan, Tony Perez. <laughs> and, you know, it's just like, you know, but, and you hate to say it, but it's almost like as you started getting older, you know, you started taking some of that stuff, I think, for granted. Like, you know, I, I was just, I've never been a collector kind of guy and, and never really one for autographs and things like that. So I don't have any of that stuff. But what I have is, is you know, are the memories of, of some of the days of being around those guys. And, and then, you know, as fate would have it, thank God, years later, um, when I first had a chance to start announcing Major League Baseball, I'm announcing the games with Johnny Bench, and Pete Rose is the manager. You know, and it's just like, and now here we are um, living back in Cincinnati, and, you know, each of these guys have either, A, had their jersey retired, B, built a statue outside the ballpark of those guys, and you're still around them all the time, and yet you're looking at men who are now starting to get up into their mid-70s and upper 70s, and it's hard to believe. It's really hard to believe. But thank God they're all still going strong. You know, my favorite of that whole group has always been Joe Morgan. I, I just I, I love Joe Morgan as a, as a player and, and, more importantly, as a man. I just spent a lot of time with him because he still works for the Reds organization. He's in town a lot um, when he's not out there in his home uh, in Northern California and – you know, he went through some rough days the last year, year and a half, and he's finally starting to feel a lot better. Tom, we always uh, appreciate your time. Be well, be safe, and, and truly, it's just great to hear your voice, a familiar voice, and I know our fans feel the same way. So be well, and we'll talk to you during the season. Well, all the best, and, and, and send hello to uh, our good friend Bob Melvin. We're just so happy and thrilled with the job that he's done out there. I was with him for many, many seasons with Bob Brentley there in Arizona, and and, boy, what a job he has done with that franchise. So thanks for having me today. I really appreciate it. You take care of yourself. Take care, Tom. All righty. All right. I'm going to take you behind the curtain. Some of your edits were terrible, Commander Cody. 
That's the best I could do with the internet feed cutting out. Apparently, we're having a lot of uh, we're having a lot of internet issues in San Jose uh, in this area where I'm at because the internet has dropped out so many times, and apparently, a lot of people are complaining about it. So, take people behind the curtain even more since we're doing Google Hangouts. Wait, who's who's, who's complaining? Who's complaining? Like I've I've been talking to people from our IT department, and she's and Shauna said she's been looking, and a lot of people in San Jose have been complaining about the internet service on in yeah because i if, 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 if it seemed weird like i was talking about something and then went to something else it was because when we were doing the uh interview his internet was cutting out so he didn't get the full interview and but tom's great i i've been having on my shows for years and his his dad marty bremen uh, obviously is one of the great broadcasters of all time and having tom on pretty cool and he does a great job you know, like I've been saying, whether it's baseball, whether it's uh, football, NFL, and college, that's a uh, that's a broadcasting family right there, Commander. Yeah, uh, I've I've known. I mean, Tom being on the you know Fox NFL Sunday and calling games for forever on the NFL, on Fox, and then you know what he's done with the Reds and the Diamondbacks, and you know his dad's a legend. The thing Matt Vaskersen did last year, saying thanks to Marty, was really good and. They're going to be exciting this year. They just got to be better against the NL Central. They were 33 and 43 versus the NL Central last year, including 7 and 12 versus the Pittsburgh Pirates, which it's not going to get it done if you want to win that division this year because the Cardinals are still going to be good. You know what the Brewers are going to do. And you and the Cubs are going to, you know, the Cubs won 84 games last year with Joe Madden. They got a new manager now. This could be the last year of their quote unquote window of the players they have. So it that, that division is going to be very, very interesting this season. Well, they were four games out of the wild card race on August eighth, and then they went twenty one and they, they went twenty one and twenty nine, and uh, being on the road, uh, that was a tough one also for the Reds as they were just thirty four and forty seven on the road. That is not good. Vince Catronio, what is happening? Tony, how are you, buddy? Good to hear your voice. Yeah, that's the thing that we've been doing. You know, we, we've been trying to bring on familiar voices for people because I know it means a lot. And your voice, obviously, synonymous with, with, with A's baseball. We recently had Ray Fossey on. We had Ken Korak on. And so I wanted, wanted to do all you guys this week so people could hear you. Glenn Kuyper recently was on. So uh, I'm glad you, I'm glad everything's going well for you. And, yes, it, it's good to hear your voice. Well, I'll tell you, Townie, it's, it's, it's a lot different down here in Arizona. While we have uh, a lot of the parameters in place here that most of the country has with shelter in place, it's not nearly as dramatic as it has been in the Bay Area for an, a much longer period of time. And closing you know, miles of road for people to use as pedestrians and riding bikes, that hasn't happened. Uh, interesting, uh, one of the main cogs of the economy here is golf in Phoenix, essential business. So my son, Dominic, who works at the golf course during the off season, is still actually showing up and going to work. And they've had as many as, you know, 240, 260 rounds a day. It's slowed off a little bit the last couple of days, but uh, they've been pretty steady as has a lot of the, a lot of the golf courses in the community. So it, it is a little bit different. Certainly, you know, we're lucky. Everybody's safe in our house. We've got six people in our house with all the kids and my son-in-law. And we're lucky, you know, we're trying to do what we can to uh, adhere to social distancing. We're trying to uh, stay as quarantined as possible. We're certainly looking out for, our, you know, our, 
our fellow man, trying to do some things in that regard. Uh, missing baseball like everybody else, and certainly know that that's that's far from the most important thing on the list. And and hoping that at some point, uh, a lot of the things that people are accustomed to doing, going to work and getting up and starting their day a certain way, that that slowly gets gets uh, returned to us, and we can really appreciate each other and, and maybe move forward in a, in a in a different light. You know, that's interesting news that you say that golf courses are essential businesses. And because this report out by Bob Nightingale, and we had Nightingale on on Wednesday. I wish wish we would have had him on today. But the big, uh, big story is, you know, he's looking at Major League Baseball where the teams in Arizona stay in Arizona and play. And then the teams in Florida, they go to their respected ballparks and they play. And so there's, so you get baseball going again. And, you know, in certain hotspot areas, like if you talk like about New York, it'd be people be like, that's never going to happen. But even here in the Bay area, we have pretty much flattened the curve and hopefully at some point are going to be going down. But if you're saying they're out still doing sports, this, this thing could be real. Yeah. And that's the thing. I mean, I, I don't think as far as Arizona's concerned and, Look, Chris, we, we, we're all trying to follow the science as best we can, and none of us are that smart. And the, you know, what you hear, one minute changes, 10 minutes later changes literally from day to day. And I don't think as far as the state of Arizona is concerned that they've, they've hit their peak yet. Now, they talked about New York has maybe reached their platform very close to it, feel the same way, certainly in California, maybe in, you know, up in, uh, in Washington State. But there are so many other areas, and Arizona's among them. And while they've got the warm weather, and it's in the 80s today, it's going to be in the 80s again moving forward now down here close to the 90s, that that may or may not have an effect on this virus. We don't know for sure. Uh, I just think baseball is trying to float as many ideas out there as possible with no guarantee that this is the end all or this is going to be uh, the thing that's going to happen. There are so many steps that have to be, that have to be taken so many stages of these ideas and these projects uh, on trying to get people on the field and playing games and look Chris you know it better than I do we know that part of what makes sports great are the people that are sitting in the stands that's cheering and they create that atmosphere they create the energy for the athlete and the athletes feed off of that time and time again and it seems and moving forward for the next several weeks and or months, who knows, uh, that they're talking about playing sporting events in front of empty houses, which is going to be, I mean, I think for a fan, to, just to see anything live or listen to anything live would be a step in the right direction, but it's just going to be much, a much, much different feeling than, than any of us, I think, are, are ready to comprehend. What do you think it'll mean for you in your career? You've been doing this a long time to get back on the air and be that distraction for this fan base. Well, I mean, that's the great thing about sports. And what we do, Chris, is that we are that. We have been that for years. We're the, the truck driver that turns on the radio driving out of the Valley can listen almost to an entire game of A's baseball to the, to the, the, Chapters and the stories that are developed each and every day about you know their favorite players on their favorite team, and you multiply that now with the way technology is. You've got A's fans literally around the globe that, at different times of the day, uh, are are setting part of their day toward 
following their team and to be part of, of that opportunity to to lend a hand and try to pick somebody up in a very small way, give them that distraction, give them something that is to be a normal, a normal, but for that in, in any way, shape, or form that we can provide for them is, you know, is a good gift. Like I was out of baseball for two years, Chris, for other circumstances. So when I got back in, I knew that, uh, I mean, nothing taken for granted. And I've joked with Ken time and time again about this. Uh, we've gone to Texas, with the great heat and all the wind and how frustrating that was for him and, and Bill over the years. I said, look, man, I'll sit on the light stand, light standard to do the game. It doesn't bother me because once, once it's been taken away from you, you really take it for granted. I mean, you really you take it seriously and you don't take it for granted. And I think in, in this situation, in so many areas of everybody's life, not just sports, but things that we have all made the mistake of taking for granted, I think if nothing else, when this allows us to move forward, hopefully most of us, if not all of us, will take a look inside and say, you know, what can I now do better to be a better person, to be a better person to myself, be a better person to my family, better person to my loved ones, better person to people around me, and just help build a better world. I'm hoping that is, if nothing else, that's something that will uh, be something to look forward to. Now, the way this is lined up here is they're going to put teams that are closest to each other in the stadium. So, you think of the Cubs just down the way from the A's in Mesa at Sloan Park. The Giants are in Scottsdale. And not too far away, uh, the D-backs and the Rockies, they train together at uh, God, we, Salt River Fields. Is that what it is? Yeah, to, to, uh, talking, Salt River Fields at Talking State in Scottsdale. So I, when I look at Cubs, Giants, D-backs, Rockies, and Oakland A's, to me, and I'm not being a homer here, I think just about everybody would agree, the A's are by far better than all these other teams. So if this has got to be the A's division, I would think they are easily the favorite to win this. Well, you're, you're just jumping way ahead, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. you're, you're not wasting any time on handicap this new, this new Chris Townsend uh, Cactus League division, are you? I, you know, it, I just don't know how it's all going to play out, Chris. I think they're trying to find any way, shape, or form to get the sport back moving. In, in the healthiest way, uh, most prudent way, with the understanding that there's still so much happening uh, in the world that has to be, you know, has to be a concern. And, and one thing that I've talked about on a couple of podcasts the past few weeks is the things that I was looking at was the opening day for Japanese baseball, which is supposed to be April 24th, and also this month for Korea. And both of them now have since announced delays into at least May. So when you get that optimism about, you know, this is you've got an end date, and as a as a member of the sport and as a fan of the sport, you're sitting and go, "There's the end date. There's there's the uh, the spot on the horizon that I'm looking toward that gives me hope." And suddenly that changes again. I think that is the biggest fear for any of these teams uh, that are making those decisions, and and a fear for you know for the country in general. I mean, to me, Chris, again, trying to follow the science. You know, looking at 12 to 18 months, hopefully for a vaccine, to think that we have to wait, you know, as a, as a country, that world, for this COVID-19 to be a realistic. There has to be some ground with, with more testing, with quicker results, with an opportunity while we're working toward that vaccine and allow, 
you know, basically allow the world to start spinning again. It's certainly not there today, and I'm not saying it's going to be there tomorrow, but that's something I think they've got to look at as this moves forward for the people that, that own the chicken pie shop, for instance, and I think you know who they are. I mean, that's, that's a totally different world for those people, uh, and we need to get all the small businesses back working in some way, shape, or form and, and try to be a part of that. Yeah, you know, in the restaurant industry, we just feel lucky that we're able to make some money with takeout, whether it's uh, the restaurant in Walnut Creek or in San Diego. I feel bad for all these small businesses who are, they're just closed. They're closed and they're yep. not making any money and they don't know when they're going to be able to open. And it it is really, really sad. And when you start talking about South Korea and Japan, you know, one of the plans was, you know, baseball starting on July 1st and still having like a hundred game season. Uh, when you start thinking about what's going on in Japan and what's going on in South Korea, if they could just get it going, that would really help Major League Baseball in so many ways because obviously all these sports leagues right now, no one wants to be the first guy in the pool. No, I think you're right. But, I, but you do want to be the first guy in the pool. Because, and you've got all this attention, which is what I think these, the major sports are looking at each other. You know, the PGA Tour has you know, tentatively announced the restarting uh, of their tour in June. Uh, I think if you, again, looking at what we were hopeful for in the, uh, you know, in Korea and in Japan, that had, had those dates actually happened in late April, they were actually starting their season, whether or not they were in front of fans or not, it gave you, it would give you a laboratory to, to look at, to diagnose what they're doing, how is it working, and how can we take what they're doing and, and, and apply it to what we're trying to do in the United States. So we're not there yet. Again, they're backed up to sometime in May, which means if that's the case, you're looking at, you know, sometime between June and July to start games in the United States. And then for me, you know, everything is on the table. All the games in Arizona, in Arizona and Florida, games in their cities, you know, new schedule, one-year realignment, universal DA, seven-inning doubleheaders, 30-man rosters, all those kind of things. 2020 can be, and we're still hopeful there'll be some some semblance of a 2020 that all those things can happen. You know, Dominic works for the minor leagues, and there has you know there's there's no idea on on what they may do. And you're talking about truly small businesses that are that are very reliant on ticket sales and ticket revenue as opposed to if you're a major league team where you are reliant on ticket revenue, but you also have an enormous television re revenue, which helps drive the train. And that's something that's lacking in the minor league. So it's, there's a lot of moving parts to this, Chris. And it's just, you know, day by day, we're looking at all these plans that are floated out there. But the reality is the country has got to find itself uh, in a sense of calm and find itself safe. And I don't know when that day is. And once once that happens and consistently can happen from one day to the next and maybe from one week to the next, then you can start thinking about, you know, how do we how do we get the train back on the tracks? Good to hear your voice, Vinny. Be safe and uh, we'll catch up with you soon and tell the family I said hello. Same to you, Tony. Best to, uh, to meet the girl. And uh, hopefully the next time we're talking, we're face to face and we've got some green grass under our feet. Take care. Be safe. You too. The great Vince Catronio joining us here on A's Cast Live. Yeah, those moments going to be coming up here uh, when you're looking at South Korea and you're looking at Japan 
it's going to be big for 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 what baseball does. And I think South Korea will start first, and they got to show that uh, it can be done. And once they show it can be done, then you know Major League Baseball can work. You know, the only thing about Arizona that worries me is is the summer heat. Yeah, I mean, you're not gonna you're not gonna be doing double headers in 110 degree heat. No, that's a that's a problem to have uh, 110 degree heat double headers. Now, depending even if you did seven inning ones like they've discussed, I still think that's going to be a problem. But I think any plan that they want to do, uh, I agree with Vince that it, it all starts with what happens in Japan and Korea, where if they get back playing baseball safely, where what they're doing, I think that's a good model for the for what we do here in the United States to follow and hopefully get baseball back. And then that would subsequently lead to the NHL coming back down the line, the NBA and the NFL, which still thinks that they're starting the season on time where yesterday the NBA has been actually told they're trying to get their draft pushed back from June, uh, from June to I think till August where the NFL is doing their draft, I think what, two weeks, but they're doing it virtually. But uh, what can go wrong with that? As we know that there's so many issues with doing something like that virtually, but I, I think Korea and, and Japan, when they get their league started next month, that's going to be a good barometer for how we get th- we can do things here in the United States. Yeah, because it, it's, it's, it's one of those things the way our sport works. You just can't say, hey, we good to go? Yeah, we're good to go. All right, let's go. First game's here. I mean, the players are going to have to go, and not so much the hitters, but it's the pitchers that are going to have to be able to get back on mounds and need a couple weeks. And, you know, cause the last thing you want to do is get guys hurt. And like, you know, Saris uh, did that great article in the athletic talking about, Oh, we could have more Tommy Johns if guys aren't prepared. Uh, I'm not worried about the hitters. Uh, Tom Bremen had said, you know, that hitters usually are ahead of pitchers anyway. And I'm sure these guys uh, are, are figuring out a way to still hit. I mean, the, you know, the big question is, what do you do as a pitcher, you know? And uh, we saw Garrett Cole playing catch with his wife in, a, in the park as she's a former softball player at uh, UCLA. Did you see that video? I did. I remember that was a couple weeks ago. And then we saw – Yeah. And then we saw the video. I think it was Joey Gallo who had the home net set up in his apartment. Uh, I think that oh, was yeah. – like that. All these, all, the, all these guys got – they've got gyms at their house – they, they, you, you can see, I mean, these guys all have something where they're hitting. They, I mean, majority of these guys are wealthy. So yeah. they, they have their own, you know, you're not, you're not going to the gym. If you're a major league baseball player, you, you have that all at your house. Yeah. And that's why we're seeing guys like Gallo who built the, uh, the cage in his living room. And we're seeing players, you know, do different things to, to stay busy. They're setting stuff up in their backyard or they're playing with their kids, you know, to stay, Stay busy and stay stay ready for the season to start whenever it does. And and I, I you're right. The Eno Saris article was great talking about how they could see more Tommy Johns because these guys could ramp up so fast and that would cause would cause more arm injuries. I don't, we don't want that to happen at all. So that's why I think in Bob's piece he mentioned how there'll be a couple weeks of like spring training slash like um, just getting ready, like exhibition games, getting ready, and then the season would start you know launching right after that. So like it will look like more so end of May maybe early June when the season would actually start if they wanted to really do that. But, I mean, still, that's – I guess it's a good silver – it's not a silver lining, but it's more of a good thing to look forward to. But, again, it all comes down to how viable is the option. Yeah, I mean, golf's going to get it going. It's a bummer about the Masters being pushed back till 
what was it, August now, or, or not August, November or something? Something is, hey, something's happening around my house. So let's, uh, when we come back, we're going to end up having Liam Hendricks. I'm getting a uh, text from my wife. Something is going on. So uh, stay right there. We'll have Liam Hendricks coming up here. Cannot wait to hear from the All-Star Closer right here on A's Cast Live. Hi, this is Eduardo Perez from ESPN. When I'm in the Bay Area, I make sure I listen to A's Cast Live. All right, earlier today, we were able to catch up with the all-star Liam Hendricks as once again, Liam Hendricks is doing things for people. He is such salt of the earth. He has a heart of gold. I, I, I love the guy. Uh, I mean, what he, he goes out of his way to help so many people. He helps animals. He's really a special guy. We're lucky to have him. Here's my conversation with Liam Hendricks. Well, it is always great to have him back on the program here on A's Cast Live. He is your all-star closer, Liam Hendricks. And once again, Liam is doing so much for people. What this guy does away from the field is absolutely unbelievable. He's a friend of the program, and it's just going to be good to hear his voice. Liam, how are you? I'm doing good. How about you guys? Uh, we're, we're, we're hanging in there. And that's kind of the one thing that we've really, since we started the show back up is to get people on familiar voices for the fan base. I think they really appreciate hearing Ray Fossey or Ken Korak or yourself. It's just familiarity. I think it's really good for the fans to hear you. Yeah. They've got a bit better of a uh, radio voice than I do, but I, I'll try and put my hat in the ring. Well, what you and your wife do, it's truly incredible, and you guys don't stop. And yesterday, helping out Oakland police officers with lunch, and now Alameda County Police today. When did you guys decide, hey, we need to reach out, we need to help back here in the Bay Area? I mean, we've been looking at trying to do something for a little bit, but um, we realized when we contacted the A's about getting it all figured out, they were saying that we're going. They were going into the hospitals and and giving them food and stuff like that. So like, okay, we're gonna uh, we're gonna take take the same approach, but we're gonna do it to an area that not as many people are thinking of, and that was the uh, the police departments. And my wife has a kind of a uh, connection with that, being a daughter and a granddaughter of law enforcement. And so it's something that we feel pretty strongly about. We dealt with the uh, the OPD and the Alameda Police Department last year a little bit, just through some of the crazy times we had. And so we just there's faces that we are familiar with, and we want to make sure that we take care of the people that take care of us. Yeah, I mean, there, there's so many people that are out there right now putting their lives on the line to help protect all of us, and not only from the people working in the hospitals, uh, but also the people that, you know, people are driving ambulances and the firemen and the police officers. You know, what these what these men and women are doing for us right now is so special. And it just truly shows their dedication when they made that dedication. Hey, we're going to try and help people. That's our job. It's it's just it's so valiant what they are doing. Yeah, I mean, without a doubt. I mean, there's, there's a lot of people out there that are in the background of uh, keeping everybody safe, making sure that society doesn't crumble. I mean. Everyone's on a lockdown, but there's still cases that go on. There's still people calling 911. There's still emergencies that happen. So these people need to be readily and available. And, I mean, you look at some of the people coming out of retirement and volunteering their time just to make sure that everyone's staying safe and making sure that there's enough going around for what everyone, anyone needs. You know, when was it? that you and your wife, your wife, Christy, decided that, you know, we're going to use this platform that you have as a major league baseball player to not only help humans, also to help pets. 
When, 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 when did that decision come down for you two? I mean, it's been a long time since we've we've always wanted to do something, but we because of the way my career tracked for the first several years, we were up and down. We weren't really solidified anywhere. And so it's really hard to kind of make an impact when you're shuttling up and down and doing this and going from different organizations to different organizations. So once we got settled in Oakland after a while, once I got through kind of that first full year, we started really thinking about what we could do off the field and who we could impact. And we've always had a heart for animals. We've always had a heart for kind of making people feel like this, we're, we're actually people. We're not above anybody else. We're just regular people trying to do as much as we can for our community that we're in. And no doubt, once you start, as you say, you solidify your career and you start doing what you're doing, and then now you're an all-star, I mean, thank God that happened for you because that helped your platform get bigger. Without a doubt. I mean, that's the biggest thing about, or the best thing about having any sort of success on the field for me is it it amplifies what we're doing off the field. So all of a sudden, with what we've been able to do, we've had a lot of, a lot of different people reach out about what we've done because of seeing me in the All-Star game or seeing the success I had last year, seeing the success the A's had last year, and just reaching out and being like, hey, look, I'm going through something similar. It's been really nice hearing the fact that you, like, that you and your wife are speaking so candidly about being bullied in high school and certain things like that. And then not only that, we're raising, being able to raise some money for some of the animals with with all of a sudden, we're able to post about animal, like Tony LaRouche's Animal Rescue Foundation or players with Pits out of Chicago, and all of a sudden they get an influx of donations or an influx of calls wanting to foster. It's just seeing that has been, has been very, very rewarding, and more so than actually playing in the All-Star game. Having that recognition about that has really pushed forward everything we've been doing off the field. You know, speaking of rewarding, I remember talking to Tony LaRouche about, like, when he first started ARF, to where it is today. It's truly amazing how much it has grown. How about for your projects from when you started them to where they are today? What has that been like to watch them grow? Oh, it's been unbelievable. I mean, obviously you look at uh, Tony's kind of the way it started all with him was a, was a, a Coliseum cat and that kind of waked into warped himself into his heart and all of a sudden he starts a rescue foundation. So it's just those little things that are, that are the, uh, the butterfly effect that kind of spawns everything, the ripple effect. But, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been really cool watching what we've been able to do with all of a sudden people reaching out, people doing interviews in the strikeout bowling shows, or people hearing the fact that I'm doing something with animals and reaching out to certain places. It's been, it's been really, really cool watching everything grow. Like, we were with Players for Pits from the get-go in 2014, and they have just, watching them expand, watching the, the kind of the amount of animals they're able to help out increase every single year based on not barely what we're, me and Christy are doing. It's a lot of the or what Stephanie's doing who runs it. But it's just being able to see everything kind of grow and have your little handprint in there and being able to kind of just help out in any way we can. has been It's been really, really rewarding. And obviously, we have now seven animals. So it's, uh, we have our own little part in helping the, uh, the, the adopt own shot calls as well. How, how are the animals doing in lockdown? They've been good. I think the, the cats are really kind of pissed off the fact that we're home all the time because they don't get as much running around time. The dogs are the dogs love it because one, I'm at home. I just sit on like I like to sit on the couch, I like to read, and so my dog just decides to she'll just sit there for hours on end while I'm reading. And Jack, Christy, well, we have separate dogs. I mean, Stella's mine. Jack's pretty much is Christie's, and they're the family dogs, but they have their owners. 
and Jack's all excited because he gets to go on walks twice a day. Like it's it's been pretty cool. We're actually fostering uh, Luella right now, who we're we're calling Lulu. She had a broken leg that we got fixed the other day, and she's been uh, enjoying life with us because she's now in a cast, unfortunately. But she gets all the attention, she gets all the snacks, and she gets uh, she gets to sit on the couch and just kind of be a very very lazy dog while it all while it all heals. And hopefully she'll be running around here shortly. You know, we've been doing a lot of walking with the kids and the dog, and I can tell now our dog, Spencer, will, like, look up and go, we're going for another walk, really? Really? <laughs> yeah, it's, um, at, the start, at the start of it all, when we started getting the leashes out, Stella would be all about it, and Jack was all, all about it. Now you pull them out, and they're kind of like, um, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, I'm a little sore from yesterday's workout. Let's take a day. <laughs> I think about how much – major league baseball players travel and then i think about you how much you travel especially when you go back home to australia what is it like you know uh, not being on planes and not going to hotels and that's got to be very different for you you're spending a lot more time at home than probably you have in a long long time yeah it's been weird i think uh, i'm actually starting to get an imprint in the bed um which doesn't usually happen because my side of the bed's vacant for half the season so it's uh, it's been weird in that regard, but it's been nice being able to home. Like I I can't remember the last time where I have been at home and able to make like a sandwich for myself because usually I'm going to the field and getting food there, or I'm on the road and I'm having to get it out of the hotel or anything like that. Like I just made like a really nice salami sandwich on some multi-grain bread, and it's just, it, it it brought me back to home. Like I was making it, and I told my wife like, hey, look, this is this is the way Omar used to make it. My uh, my dad's mom, and it's just we're we're getting a little reminiscent about all these things. Yeah, and, and we haven't talked to you in a while, and obviously with what's going on around the world, we've kind of lost sight on what was going on in Australia with those horrific fires. How are things in Australia right now? Uh, last I heard, they were doing they were doing a lot better. There was um, in late January, early February, they still had about fifty fires burning. But then the rain came a little bit and helped kind of uh, tamp that all down, which is good. The, tam- the rain came, the winds died down. It helped a lot. And then obviously they're starting to recover and everything happens now. But there's, um, there's a lot of, like it, – it's some very tough times back home just for, uh, for everything kind of back-to-back. It's like when you get knocked off your surfboard and you get hit by another wave when you're already under. But um, Australia is a very resilient country, a very um, – they're used to being able to kind of take a hit and bouncing back. And, and I, I don't doubt that this will be another one of those occasions. But uh, right now, I think everyone's kind of making sure that where they're at currently is, is doing well and improving. And as soon as everyone improves and kind of gets back to normal life, it'll be, it'll be very interesting to see the landscape of how everything goes. You know, we've always appreciated your time. When you come on, you're very generous with your time with us here on A's Cast Live. And, and what you do, so many different things that you and your wife do, it's very, very special. And to help these police officers who are out there, you know, whether there's a virus or not, they're always putting their lives on the line. So to help them out and just... just Appreciate them more is, is one of the biggest tragedies around. Is Think they need protection or not, whether they whatever their stance is on anything they're going out there no matter what and it's just a tribute to a tribute to what uh, the society is i mean we're uh, as baseball players we all appreciate the security guys that are out there protecting not only like the bullpens the dugouts the wives the the family section it's just it's there's nothing we can do that is ever going to be enough 
And I just want to make sure that they know that we appreciate them more than they know. And hopefully uh, this will just be a little step in the right direction about making sure they feel that way. Yeah, I used to say all the time that, uh, you know, when you call 911, Derek Jeter's not showing up. It's a police officer. They're the real heroes. Hey, thank you so much for the time. Be safe, and I can't wait to get this thing going again. And and I can tell you this. I know for A's fans, it, it was just great hearing your voice once again. So be safe, and we'll talk soon. All right, thanks, man. If you ever need me, just let me know. Yeah, I mean, he's uh, he's such a great man. I want to be like Liam Hendricks when I grow up. I mean, all the work that they do and, and the effort to, to help people, it's really cool. And how do you not root for people like that? How do you not root for Liam Hendricks? And the the better he gets, the bigger his platform gets. You know, when you can you can utilize success to help you help more people. I want to see this guy in more all-star games. I want to see him win a world series because that just helps him build. You know, the bigger you get, the bigger your name, the more you can help. And uh truly commander friend of the program, Liam Hendricks. Along with Ray Fossey, Tony, uh, he would show up anytime, you know, let us know. He would just show up and say, hey, you guys need me. And uh, when we were at the field, so uh, him and Ray are probably neck and neck. I think Fossey's number one for friend, best friend of the program, but I think Liam's right there behind him for number of appearances on this program. Quietly in third, Paul Hembikides climbing up the leaderboard. Uh, so danger averted. So I get this. I, I, I get this text from my wife as we're doing the show. Call me now. Call you know. There's issues, and so. You know, we've been walking the dog like everybody, like everybody's like I can. I, I was just outside and I live across the street from a park and there's a bunch of people in the park. I guess a pit bull was roaming the neighborhood and uh, freaked out my wife. And I had to go pick her up because uh, little Spencer, my little King Charles Cavalier, I don't think stands a chance against a roaming pit bull. Uh, I've know Spencer pretty well. You know, we inter- we used to interact all the time, and I'm I'm kind of offended. You don't think that your attack dog would be able to hold his own? Because I don't uh, think my attack dog would. Hold. <laughs> I didn't get to see the pit bull. I didn't see how big it is. I just think uh, thing problem is Spencer does think he could take on the pit bull. That's the problem. That's those. That's always my favorite thing to watch with dogs. Like since you know my dog Leia is a, is a small. You you know her and your family knows her. She's really small. But when she interacts with bigger dogs, they, they run out. They can't catch her because she, she's so fast for being so little. But when they do catch her, her whole body just falls. It, it, she thinks she take, can take on any, take on the world, and it's great. But Spencer, every time I used to come when I would come over, you tell him to attack, and he would just look at you like, I'm not getting up. Like, come on. Yeah, he's soft. My dog is soft. <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's like when, you know, when you try and take him for the second walk of the day, he really is just like looking up going, no. We did one walk. I don't need to do two. And if you try and take him for a third time, I mean, he'll literally, like, run to the backyard to get away from the leash. He, I think I, I think I own the only dog who doesn't like walking. It's funny because Leia, what Leia does is she will look. She'll, when you get, the like, the, the harness to put on her, 
she'll like she'll get all excited, her tail starts wagging, and then she runs away because she doesn't want you to put it on her. It's like it's like we're putting a straight jacket on her or something. And then you take her outside for a walk for a couple minutes, you bring her in, then she just sleeps the rest of the day like she had the hardest day of her life. And I'm like, really, dog? That's what you're doing? As <laughs> now, now as I'm saying that she's eating a napkin behind me, so I have to go take care of that. You know, I I think the conversation with Vince was real telling from the standpoint of different states are dealing with this differently. And the golf business is big in Arizona for their economy, so they're able to say it's an essential business. Well, you start looking at these things as, you know, we hear people talking about when we're going to reopen the economy. Um, if you could play games in Arizona and keep the players pretty much safe, and you could play games in Florida, and they're not going to have golf tournaments, and they're already playing golf in Arizona, that just kind of gives you a sense of, you know, what Bob Nightingale is talking about might be real. You know, because they've looked at it and they said, listen, different parts of the country have different issues. And soon we're going to be seeing uh, a lot of progress, especially here. I mean, really in all of California, but especially here in Northern California. Cody, your fiance is a nurse and you're talking to her about what the hospitals look like right now in Santa Clara County. And things are getting better for us. So at what point are, are, are we going to start to try and reopen some things? But for baseball, what it would mean for, you know, what it would mean to, to have these games on all day long. I mean, really, just all day long playing baseball games and giving us something that's, that, that's live, that's not news, that's not doom and gloom, that's actually, you know. I, I, somebody did an article, I think it might have been Susan, or someone talked to the players about putting their hands in their mouth. And, you know, you know if, if you're playing with masks, they talk about when you have a mask on, and I, I've I've worn one when when I go out, and yeah, you you keep from touching your face when you have the mask on, and you keep gloves on and everything. I, the world is going to be different for a long time. You know, we're we're now so into wash your hands, Purell, you know, don't touch your face, not shaking hands anymore. This is gonna this is what the new norm is going to be like for a while. So I think even as pitchers are going to, you'll even think about, you know, whether you touch, you know, you, you, you take your fingers and, and, and you lick it to your, uh, you put your fingers to your tongue. Things are going to be different for a while. I think there's no question about that. I agree with you 100% about that. Like, I think that everything's going to be different. And you mentioned how every state's handling everything differently. I, I forgot to tell you this. I, when I talked to my parents today, because they still live in Pennsylvania, my mom told me they closed all of the liquor stores there because you have to buy wine and, and be, wine and spirits separately from beer. They're sold in different places. And what? Yeah, the, like apparently the state stores are closed there. And my parents aren't big drinkers, but apparently my dad now, before he goes to sleep, will take a shot of brandy to, to get himself to go to sleep. I, I don't know what he's doing. I'll let the 59-year-old man deal with himself. So my mom, the plan was they were going to go to West Virginia to buy, to buy alcohol because you couldn't buy it in Pennsylvania. They put a alert out saying that they are not – they're cutting off all sales to people, uh, alcohol sales to people from Pennsylvania and West Virginia. So every state is handling this differently in different ways. When my parents saw me, I'm like, what? You can't buy alcohol anywhere now, apparently? So 
where here we're seeing like the Chronicle put out the other day a 42% increase in uh in uh, people drinking now. Uh, in other states, they're kind of limiting that because they're closing places. So you're right, every place is handling it differently. But back to baseball, you're right, pitchers they'll taking their fingers, touching their tongue, you know, the tongue will put it on the ball. It's like everything's gonna be different, and the world's gonna be different going outside because we're seeing it now. Everyone wearing masks. You know, I don't see a lot of people wearing gloves when they're out, but I I do see a lot of people wearing masks when they go out. Like I don't wear the mask when I take the dog outside, but if I go to the store, I'll put the mask on just because you know to protect myself and others at the store and the workers at Whole Foods and the stores I go to to shop at. But this is going to be really different when we actually have uh, a semblance of life back, uh, whenever that will be. And hopefully baseball will be there for us to get it back and get these games going and start playing. And driving around today, listening to C.J. Nikowski, friend of the program, Rangers broadcaster, former pitcher, as he, he had a couple players on. Players are out there talking. You know, this is your your players are out there. You're hearing them on podcasts. You're hearing them on Sirius XM. You just heard Liam Hendricks. These guys, they're going to want to play. I mean, that's the thing. Players want to play. And if they have to play in some extreme heat or you got to play in the humidity of Florida, these guys want to play. They want to start playing games. This is what they do. We all want to get this thing going. So hopefully or sooner than later, and we start to look at, you know, a target of whether it is July, let's, you know, the one that came out, there's been a lot of different, but the one July 1st. And I've been texting with some A's people today about this USA Today article from Bob Nightingale. Uh, I can tell you there's some A's personnel that they like it. They're like, let's do it. They like the idea. So I'm not going to tell you who it is, but. Uh, oh, that's a, that's a tease. <laughs> I've been texting with a few people and they like the idea. It's, it, it, to me, it is a really good idea. I, the only, the thing that, the only thing that really scares me about it is, is the heat. That would be the biggest thing. I mean, especially in Arizona, Florida, I mean, there's humidity in Florida, which, you know, is awful, but I think Arizona, depending on where you do it, if you can play it, chase some of the games at chase field, which, you know, you're not gonna be able to play all of them there, but uh, the heat will be an issue, and, the, and if they, the idea of the double headers, I want to know if they're really going to do that. And we've I've mentioned that a few times. Like that's, yeah, I, it, it, I think that's it, that's out. I think there's no way you're going to have these guys stand out there in 110 degree heat and play two games. So what now? I'm starting to think through my head. If I was baseball, I'd play games in the morning, and I'd play games at night. So first pitch is eight o'clock. I think that I think that's actually a good idea. That works because then during the day when it hits the peak hours of, of when the sun's out and everything, like we we know because it gets pretty hot in San Jose. I'm not saying it's as hot as it does in Arizona, but you know we've had a few hundred hundred degree days last summer, and it's starting to get a little bit warmer here now. But yeah, I think that's smart to do it early in the morning and then late at night, and to kind of take a break during the day. Maybe let the East Coast games go on in that window because it you know Correct, the weather yeah. will be changing there too. So that's actually not a bad idea. I mean. I remember playing against Arizona State down there back when they used to play on campus, and our game started later because it was so hot. So we started later. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's – it's there's no – people aren't going anywhere. People are in their house. So if you want to give them baseball at 8 p.m. when the sun's gone down and it's not as hot, I mean, and it's maybe in the 90s, and these guys playing that all the time. So you, hey, your team, hey, you're playing game time for the Cactus League is 
You're going to have a game starting at 8 a.m., and then you have a game starting at 8 p.m. That's a nice I mean, it's going to be a big service just to put these things on television for people. The longer that we stay inside, it's going to be huge. It helps. That was a part of Bob's article. I don't remember the quote exactly, but in the article he mentioned how it's good for um, for TV revenue or uh, for the you know TV deals that these teams have too because it helps because you're getting games on and they're playing. Uh, that that actually really helps. I, I thought I put the quote from it in on the uh, the rundown here, but I don't. It's in the actual article, and I'm sure if I open the article, some sound's going to start playing or a video <laughs> like everything does anywhere else. So I'm not even going to chance of opening opening it. But there's so many positives to this, and obviously the biggest thing that it could affect is you know what happens if something happens in the middle of this when you start it and you have to shut it all down again. Like that's the only thing I worry about is you get this all going, everyone's excited. And then, like a week in, you find out someone maybe someone has COVID again, or something happens. You have to shut it all down again, and then you have to wait again. So, I think they're gonna they'll, they'll do it when the right time comes. And we mentioned Korea and Japan are the, are the test cases that we need to follow once they start getting their season back uh, next month. Are you ready to do a little buying or selling? Get the open ready here, and okay. It's time for buying or selling. Sell, sell. Right now with Chris Townsend on A's Cast Live. Now, earlier today, we were talking about the most hyped prospects from David Schoenfeld, friend of the program's uh, article that he has on ESPN.com. It made me think of the own list I put together of players who had their careers cut short. And I'm going to bring up a guy who yesterday in 1993 returned from hip replacement surgery and hit a home run on the first pitch he saw of Neil Heaton. That'd be the one Bo Jackson. Bo in his career had an 8.3 war, a 250 batting average, 140 home runs. A f- he had f- drove in 415 runs and had a 112 OPS plus. He was also a very good running back in the NFL. As you mentioned, he pushed back Marcus Allen to fullback when he played for the Oakland Raiders. Then LA Raiders, actually. Some other notable names on the list who were players who had their careers cut short would be David Wright, Choi Tolowitzki, Brandon Webb, Mark Pryor, Don Mattingly, and Johan Santana. So buying or selling, Bo Jackson was the best player to have his career cut short. Uh, you can even do it as athlete. Best athlete to have his career cut short. Okay, because baseball, there's been some guys. I mean... Uh, I, I I would buy that if you say athlete. If you say baseball, I mean think of think of p- people that had like the great starts of careers, but they got hurt, and there wasn't Tommy John then, or there you know. Mm-hmm. And I there the I'm, I can't remember who's the I think it's the Red Sox guy, the old school guy that got hit in the head that they thought was going to be a great player. And so I, I think baseball wise, I would not buy. But if you're just talking athlete, uh, I think there's no question. I think he's the greatest athlete that's ever lived. Uh, he was pretty special, and I, I texted you last night because uh, I was watching the football life on one of my favorite athletes of all time, Ricky Williams, the former Texas running back. I didn't know that he was drafted by the Philadelphia Phillies, and then it made me think of Bo Jackson. I don't know why I thought of Bo Jackson, but it just it all tied together for me. So, so remember the name Todd Van Poppel? We talked about him a little bit earlier. He was supposed to be the next big thing when the Oakland A's took him 14th in the 1991 draft. He threw harder than Nolan Ryan coming out of high school. He was compared to Roger Clemens. He was named Baseball America's top prospect in 1991. But during his career, and starting with his rookie season, he walked in 1993, he walked 62 batters and struck out just 47 
in 84 innings. In 94, he led the AL on walks. In August of 96, when he was still just 24, the A's waived him. Now, in his career, he had a negative .3 war, a 5.56 ERA, although his best year was 2001 with the Cubs, where he had a 2.52 ERA in 59 games as a reliever. Other notable busts are Rocco Baldelli, Ben Grieve, J.D. Drew, Matt Bush, Mark Pryor, and Chris Benson, just to name a few. Buying or selling Todd Van Poppel is the biggest bust in Major League Baseball in the last 30 years. Mm, last 30 years. So you can't say Brian Taylor because he would have been 31 years because I was 89. So from 1990 till now. I mean, the guy was on the cover of Sports Illustrated when he was in high school. <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty big deal. Uh, and Matt Bush only went number one because he was the most signable guy. He ended up going to. He ended up going to. If I want to, if I'm, if I'm correct, I think he ended up going to jail or something, too. And then he came back and he pitched with the Rangers or the. Pod, he, I heard who he came back. With. He actually had a nice little re, re, renaissance as a reliever. With the Rangers. Yeah, he had. A, it was a nice renaissance with him. But I still think Van Pop. I mean Van Poppel. I, I don't know. I mean his best. He had one good year as a reliever. I, I just put in. How hard did Todd Van Poppel throw? And they got him at 95. Well, if he's throwing 95, he didn't throw as hard as Nolan Ryan. Please. Well, they said that he threw harder than Nolan Ryan did in high school. Is what the uh, what mean, the hype? They didn't have radar guns then. Yeah, well, I don't I don't know how they figured it out then, but that's what the hype was with him. He threw harder than Roger Clemens, and or he was compared to Roger Clemens, and threw harder than Nolan Ryan in high school. I remember Van Poppel throwing like 90, 91. Yeah, I don't. I, when he was in the big leagues. I don't remember. Uh, I don't. All right. What else you got? All right. So this season, the A's are, well, we are planning on, re we're planning on retiring the number 34 for Dave Stewart. During last season's 1989 World Series Championship team reunion, the A's and our president, Dave Calvo, announced they will also be retiring the number 34, which also is retired for Raleigh Fingers, who also wore the same number. Well, the new debate is which number goes next. Our friend Martin Gallegos wrote the article from MLB.com. Now, Vita Blues 35 is big because Vita spent nine of his 17 seasons with the team and was a huge part of the three-peat during the 1970s. Sal Bando's number six was, was, is a big number to be looked at, and he was a major part of those teams as well, but it's also the same number as manager Bob Melvin. Mark McGuire's 25 is one. Jimmy Fox, who never played for the Oakland Athletics, is a Hall of Famer and wore number three. And then the other guy on the list was Matt Chapman, but we got a long way to go until we talk about retiring number 26. Buying or selling Jimmy Fox's number three should be the next jersey retired by the Oakland A's. I'm buying that. He's a Hall of Famer. None of the other guys are Hall of Famers. He's one of the greatest players of all time. Yeah. I mean, it, it helps celebrate your history. What number is that, 33? Uh, who? The, what, what did Fox wear? Jimmy Fox was three. Oh, he was three. Yeah. I want to say, I think 33 was Conseco. Yes, that was Jose. Um, If you wanted to do that, because, I mean, you're honoring your history, and truly, double X, Jimmy Fox is, I mean, you. I'm looking up his number. I mean, his numbers, his numbers are monster numbers. Yeah, well, yeah. He, he was a pretty good player back in the day for the Philadelphia Athletics. Uh, he had a 93.9 war. He hit three. He hit three twenty-five with five hundred and thirty-four home runs, one thousand nine hundred and twenty-two RBIs, an OPS plus of one sixty-three. 
He's a pretty, pretty, pretty good player. All right. I would say. Uh, uh, by the way, um, credentials. He's a three-time MVP, two-time batting champion, two-time World Series champion, nine-time All-Star, and won the Triple Crown. It's pretty good. If you, if Dave Cavill says we're going to honor this guy because he's one of the great A's of all time, I got no problem with it. All right, last one because we're running out of time. And uh, come up next on A's Cast, we're going to have Game 2 of the 2013 ALDS A's Taggers. That's what's next on A's Cast. But yesterday on Mad Dog Radio, one former big leaguer announces retirement. That would be power hitting slugger Mark Reynolds, whose best year was 2009 when he hit 44 home runs, but he announces retirement after 13 seasons in Major League Baseball. Now, Reynolds hit 298 home runs over his career. He also had 1,927 strikeouts in 13 years, which is ninth all time, and he led baseball four times in strikeouts, including the record of 223 in 2009, one more than former Oakland A, Adam Dunn's 222. Now, Reggie Jackson is the all-time leader with 2,597 strikeouts in 21 years. Buying or selling Mark Reynolds, if he played longer, would be the all-time strikeout king. He's, I'm selling. I mean, he's, six, he's, he's 35 years old. But the last few years, he, he only played like in like 70 games. Yeah, played in 86 with the Nats and played in 78 with the Rockies. I mean, he hit a buck seventy last year in seventy-eight <laughs> games. I mean, you can't, you can't, you can't put a guy like that on the field. I mean, that's it, it, Reggie Jackson struck out a lot because Reggie Jackson played a long time, twenty-one seasons to be, to be yeah. exact. Because Reggie Jackson's one of the greatest players of all time. Mark Reynolds is a liability. So, I, yeah, there's, I'm, I'm selling. He just couldn't get the at bats because he's just not good enough. Yeah, I mean, he. He, I mean, he started when he was 23, and he was good for the Diamondbacks. The second year is when he hit the 44 home runs, and he was, you know, that was back when everyone's like, "Who's this guy?" And he, had, you know, he was like truly like Adam Dunn, a three, a three true outcome: home run, strike, or strikeout, or walk. And that's what Reynolds was. So uh, that's all I got. Still never got to the Adrian Beltre best third baseman thing, but we'll, we'll get to that eventually. Don't worry. Adrian Beltre, the best third baseman. It has to do with him in the Hall of Fame and how many and the percentage. We'll get to it. You think he's going to get more than George Brett? We'll see. We'll see. George Brett's like 98, right? Yeah. Got like 98%. I mean, that – I don't know what Schmidt got. Uh, he got. I think he got 97 along with – Chipper got 97 as well. <laughs> so, can you imagine people didn't vote for Mike Schmidt? Like, seriously. But there's people didn't vote for Babe Ruth and, Pete, and, and uh, Hank Aaron. So, come on. We know this already. Uh, Willie Mays, Hank Aaron – Ted Williams. You didn't vote for Ted Williams, a guy that lost four years of his career because he went over and, and and fought in wars, and you don't vote for him? Yeah, come on. So, well, because they didn't like him. Because yeah. uh, Ted Williams wasn't a uh, media darling. Not even close. He ripped the media. It was great. Um, all right. We will be back on Monday. I'm going to tell you this. It's going to be awesome. All right, Cody, have a good weekend. You too. Talk to you soon. Remember, Pirates on Monday. Can't wait. Oh, God. Uh, We will be doing the Pirates, I guess. All right. Uh, Have a great weekend. Everybody be safe, and we'll see you back on Monday at 1 o'clock. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.